You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am barely your host, Mike Petchy, today. I am barely here. And uh, we'll get into why in a minute. But before I do, this show wouldn't be possible. This, this amazing space that we're in wouldn't be possible without the help of our good friends from Puget Systems. Now, if you've been tuning in to the podcast every day that we've been doing this, you should by now know who Puget Systems is. But if you don't, they're the place to go if you're looking for an edit computer, they're the place to go if you're looking for a sound computer, they're the place to go to buy a machine that is a tool for you. You don't join some cult, you're not in debt, it's a tool. And uh, that's what I specifically look for when I buy my stuff. I don't believe in being a brand loyalist. I think that there's a, a tool for every project out there and I like to buy equipment that I can adjust, upgrade, shift to work for what I need. And so Puget System was the company that I found when it comes to editing computers. They're a family-owned company on the up, Upper West Coast. Ooh, your boy's barely getting there. Upper West Coast. Um, and uh, if you want to, to build yourself a monster edit machine, go to PugetSystems.com. You can choose a computer based upon the software you use. So let's say you're going to buy a Premiere system. Maybe you want to buy a Resolve system. Maybe you want to buy a general system that does a bit of everything. These guys know exactly what you need. They're always beta testing hardware. They're looking through the latest software upgrades. They're figuring out what the issues are because there oftentimes are tons of issues every time these edit programs release an upgrade. Drives me insane. Um, and Puget Systems are people. That's what's crazy about it. So customer support means you talk to somebody. They know each and every person that they've sold computers to. It's nuts, man. And I've said this before, and let me, let me just be a bit more specific. When you buy a computer from them, you get a little three-ring binder that has pictures and names of everybody that assembled that machine. I've been to their warehouse. It's a very small space. These are people that love computers. These are people that love creatives. Why else would they be sponsoring my dumbass here at the festival? I love Puget Systems. Go to PugetSystems.com. I'm telling you, go to PugetSystems.com, buy yourself a new machine. And I know for all the filmmakers that are on our show, they'll be offering all sorts of discounts and deals. So Puget Systems, thanks, guys. And uh, next time, be here because, well, it's probably smart that you're not here right now because uh, we're in pretty rough shape today. All right. So uh, let's uh, let's start the show. And I'm going to continue to break the rules. I don't think I really have permission to play this song, but I'm going to do it anyway. So we're going to start it with a little power glove this morning.
I love the song. It's juicing me up right now. Stop ruining the moment. One of the coolest synthwave bands out there, by far. Yeah, they're pretty good, man. They are pretty good. And you know what's funny? As we play this song too long, which I love, 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 love to do on this show, I was talking to Ryan last night, and he's mm-hmm. like, you know, you play your songs really long in the intros, and in the beginning, I thought that was kind of annoying, but now I love it. And it's like, yeah, man, you get it, dude. It's about resetting your brain. It's about getting mm-hmm. into a new space. Oh, God, I can't believe I have this kind of energy right now. Lance. Lance. Morning! Shut the fuck up. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> how is it how is it that we are so stupid how long have we been here what is this day seven this is day seven of film quest and we're not even we haven't even screened yet you know the only thing i'm liking about this though is that the lack of sleep and all the running around and all the talking sound fucking great in the morning mm. i'm enjoying that this is amazing you got that <laughs> I feel like uh, I'm a predator when I do that. I feel, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that the whole time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we, yeah, we're pretty dumb, man. We went to a, uh, what was it, a karaoke show last or Yeah, pa- a karaoke party last night. Last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically what they're doing each night is there's uh, either a Midnight Madness screening where they'll have a lock-in and there's uh, a long block of films or they have a sort of networking event. In this case, last night was karaoke. Uh, we did not sing. Um, no. There was a massive turnout, so that list was long. But uh, it was cool seeing other people get there, do their thing, and um, open bar, you know, naturally there's a lot of conversation too. So Yeah, what's crazy too is that FilmQuest seems to have two different waves. So we had the early wave, which is us, like the 26th, mm-hmm. the 27th through, and a lot of those filmmakers come to about this point. And then there's a sort of change and shift mm-hmm. where now we have a whole new group of people coming in. And then from what we understand now, it's going to get really intense. Like there's a lot of people coming in yeah. at this point because yeah. everybody kind of wants to cram in towards the end. And I think it's because the awards thing mm-hmm. is happening and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, well, what, I think what the big issue here is, is that you and I have no self-control. We don't have the ability to pace ourselves. and um you know i'm feeling it man yeah i'm an old boy now so i'm like 45 years old so getting out of bed this like gina had to do some sort of demonic ritual to raise me from the fucking bed today (laughs) i'm telling you man do the cold shower what does that mean so in the morning um they say that one of the best cures for that hangover is like dipping your face in a bowl of cold ice water Mm -hmm. um or the alternative you're in provo and it's freezing so the water gets wicked cold I mean, when you're finishing your shower, just crank it all the way as cold as it gets and just try to stay under there for as long as you can tolerate. So even if it's 30 seconds, 10 seconds, 
I feel like I'll have a heart attack. I feel like I'll have a heart attack if I do that. Yeah, maybe take it slow. Like, don't, you know, yeah. first time, maybe just like slowly, like gradually go into it. You'll, the, like, nice I have gravy. a whole glass, like, shower downstairs. You'll yeah. hear me go, ah! And then just shatter through <laughs> one of the <laughs> shatter through one of them. Um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, so we're excited today. I think we're going to take a little easy, you know, today. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, we got some friends coming in. This house is going to get packed. I know uh, Josh is on his way today. He'll be in uh, tomorrow. We're being joined by Gene Gene Raven, nice. the actor from Twelve KM, and also the actor from Who's There, the movie that. Uh, many of you who have been listening to the show are expecting to see right now. Yes, I know. I know. I, t I know I promised that I will show you this movie, but you've been listening to the show. I'm fucking busy right now. Just give me a break. Give me a break, please. Um, so, yeah, man, he's coming in. And then uh, we're also going to be joined by Travis. Like you said, Travis was yep. our camera uh, op. Um, he's he's uh, a camera op with way too much experience because he's actually a very talented cinematographer mm -hmm. himself. Um, and uh, also joined, we will be joined by Frank Castle will be here. The, oh, Punish yeah. the Punisher is coming as well. Ooh. So Nick Apostolides, those of you uh, who know that we did a fan film, you, Nick did play the Punisher before Disney sent us a cease and desist and told us to uh, shut the fuck up. So he'll be here. Mm -hmm. And uh, he also is the voice of Leon in the Resident Evil games. Yeah. So technically... At some point, we'll do like a podcast with everybody in the house. So technically, Leon from the Resident Evil games will yeah. be here. That's, he, he's done really well with that. Like, yeah, it's impressive, man. Even like and just like watching some of them, I think because I think he did. Um, there was the games, but I think there's also a movie that he voiced it for. Yeah, he did. Well. He did the one in the animated really movies. Really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, we're joined by some very patient guests. Did that fucking microphone stand just go down on you again? You can adjust it. Yeah, you can adjust it. We're joined by some very patient guests that have to listen to the two of us groan and grunt into a microphone. And uh, we're just going to adjust this. There you go, this mic stand. And if it's a bastard, you know, if you guys find it easier to pass a mic between you, you want to do that, just pull it right off the stand. Yeah, you guys can handhold that. And uh, just get rid of that. Just, yeah, get rid of that thing. Just spin it this way. Yeah, whatever works. There you go, gang. Voila. Voila. We're good. All right. So here we go. Microphones are hot. What I'd love to do is have you guys introduce yourself, tell me about your film, and, and then we'll become friends. Great. Uh, hello. Uh, my name is Mo Najati. Uh, I'm here with my short sci-fi called Insold, uh, and I've come all the way from London. Very exciting. There are so many people from the UK here right now, and they all have one thing in common, jet lag. How are you feeling? I'm okay. I, so if you're talking, like, maybe in a bit you'll be talking to me and suddenly I'll be just totally zoning out, looking at the wall. But I'll be okay. <laughs> um, I don't see, I haven't seen, so we're way behind. So I don't think we've seen anybody's films here yet. So we're excited to see these films. Mm -hmm. And then yours screened yesterday, which we'll talk about in a minute. So I missed it. So I could, we'll have to watch it online. But what's your film? What's it about? So basically my film is about a, a grieving a woman that's going to sort of meet her partner in the afterlife. Oh, rad, yeah, man. Cool, man. Yeah. So you were saying when we talked briefly downstairs, you come from a documentary world? Yes. This is my first genre short ever. I've, I've done a little drama before that to practice for this, but this is my first genre film. Mm. I've, I've done commercials before that and documentaries. Mainly. Sure, sure. Yeah. And how long have you been in the business? Since 2010. Nice, so man. About 
We got a lot to talk about. I want to talk about the difference between talk and narrative. And yeah, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about. And you, my friend. Uh, hi, I'm Charlie DeLazarica. Oh, whoa, whoa, Charlie, your, your voice is incredibly sexy this morning. It sounds really good. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm older, you know, so, uh, and I don't have jet lag. I have baby lag. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I had, ba- I had baby duty right before I came out here. So that's why I didn't go to karaoke last night, because the instant my ass hit the bed, I was out. Yeah. So, uh, so I apologize for not being there last night. The video looked fun. Um, I'm here for the U.S. premiere of my short film, Honk. Cool. Uh, starring Zach Galligan of Gremlins fame and Tyler Maine of Rob Zombie's Halloween fame. No shit, yeah. man. And it is a creepy little horror drama uh, about a man going through a divorce who has insomnia and he gets woken up pre-dawn by this incessant car horn in his quiet Ooh. neighborhood to the point where he's like, all right, I have to go find this guy and shut him up. So he ventures out into the darkness, the cold darkness of this really eerie, quiet neighborhood. Awesome. And he finds the source, but it reveals something that we did not expect. Oh, man. And, cool, and that's man. kind of like where the, the whole thing just pivots into like, oh, it's that type of movie. So I don't want to give that away just yet, but I, w- I will say that if you saw the trailer and you think, oh, it's a guy versus a car, it, it's that for a bit. But the car symbolizes something, and mm-hmm. that's revealed late in the film. And you're like, oh, okay. I'm so excited to see it. I'm also very depressed to hear about it because I had a very similar <laughs> idea that I was going to do, but now I can't. You know what? I bet it's been done like at least 25 times before. So yeah. I think we're in the same boat. In yeah. That. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not, I don't think it's super original, but it just came to me in a way that I thought I have to make this, I have to make it cheap and fast. And we did, you know, and, uh, and I was, I'm really proud of the way it's turned out. I, I pushed myself into a zone I hadn't been to, which is more of a straight pick a lane horror mm-hmm. genre, not subgenre, not hybrid. I said, I'm going to do a straight up old fashioned, uh, kind of like shining esque psychological, emotional horror film. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and, and I did it because everything I'd done previously kind of, kind of jockey between different tones of like humor and horror and light and dark. And I just thought, let me just pick one lane this time and stick with it. And I did. And yeah. I feel like, okay, I did that. Now I can go back and do what I used to do or, you know, as, as it's needed, but anyway, yeah. I feel good about it. That's great, man. I can't wait to see it. Like I can't I wait said, for you to see it. I hope you like it. I'm fucking jealous, <laughs> but I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it, man. All right, and good morning. Good morning. Hi. Do I sound sexy as well? Get in right on that microphone. <laughs> um, so this is Liang. Um, my phone name is Liang Chunling. I'm from Taiwan, and here I just go by Liang. I'm here with my thriller short film, A Dire Strait, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a short based on Taiwanese postpartum tradition, it's like oh. very, very extreme postpartum care that like spirals into a nightmare. <laughs> Mm. I think I saw the. Tra- Did you re- you have a trailer out there for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. shared the trailer in our group. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I saw the trailer for it. it looks cool. It looks really cool. And then you screened what yesterday? Yeah, yesterday two p.m. Mm, how was the screening? It's great. I, I think I got yeah way more feedback and and the reaction was great. Um, I was a little bit insecure about it because um, mm. so I'm the opposite. I'm like a hybrid. Of, very slow pacing thriller slash dark drama, uh, dark comedy slash family drama. Mm-hmm. And I was put into this horror block and the whole time I was like, oh my God, is it horror enough? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, like, yeah. I, I was a little surprised that I get into film class because yeah, my professor had been telling me, this is not a general film. <laughs> I was like, no, 
<laughs> I love that response. No, no it is. is. <laughs> because I say so. <laughs> yeah, so I, I feel very honored um, to be included. And yeah, people got got me all the reaction I was looking for. So. See, right. oh, so that's why we do this, right? Yeah. yeah, especially in the genre stuff, right? And we, you know, we torture ourselves and we beat ourselves up and the, the entire planet tells us like you're not allowed to do this you're not supposed to do this and every second of the day there's someone from the location going i hate you and they're trying to kick you out and then you're in the edit room and you're torturing away and you're suffering through it and then you get into a space what's worse is when you send it to your friends or someone and they just load their phone and they go like oh yeah that's cool flip you know like so like all that work for that yeah. fuck you you know what i mean it's, yeah yeah, unfriend. Unfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, screening it in front of people. Like, I, I personally, I get like, I get to see the movie for the first time again, right? And then you just sort of get this rush. Mm. And uh, you know, we were just talking. We screened my other film downstairs in the screening room for yeah. some filmmakers, twelve cam, and I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Um, and I remember I was sitting there and I was watching it for a hot second. I forgot it was our movie. Mm -hmm. and I was jealous of it. I was like, who, who, what? And I went, oh, fuck, that's awesome. And then so, yeah. yeah. Even with like some of the, since we've missed some of the short blocks doing the podcast, once we were able to connect um, through the app and be able to watch some of the other screeners, you're seeing this and then the TV's like, it's like a 90 inch TV. It's insane, right? So you're still getting like a really good, not theatrical, but you're getting like the best at home uh, experience that you can get. And you go, yeah, of course you can't watch this stuff on the phone. And you're seeing some of these shorts. I'm like, oh my, these are incredible, man. And plus the TV, the quality image is just, it's insane. Well, here's, okay, this is an interesting thing. And we, you guys can all chime in on this. There is a massive difference when you're watching your footage and you're watching your stuff on a very small device. Mm. And it isn't just that you aren't getting the resolution. It's not just any of that. It's all, you're missing body mo like you're missing like body movement. Yeah. You know, do you feel the same way? Oh, totally. Yeah. Mm. It, I mean, that's the one thing I've learned over the years is to frame wider. Yeah. Just do it. Because you can always push in later if you think you're too wide, but get it. And yeah. then once you got it, then you can kind of edit a little bit visually. But I, I have gone wider and wider with my, my films uh, yeah. because of that. Yeah, because when you screen it, you're, it ends up becoming like this doorway to another world when it's that big, you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. I think there's also something about the collective experience of watching something with a lot of people, strangers or friends. Yeah. It just, it just takes you to this different world, you know? It's like this is, this is the same thing I discuss with my wife sometimes. You sit on Netflix and you're watching whatever inch you have on your teeth, 65 inch, 70 inch, you're still at home. Yeah. You can yeah. just pause it, go to the toilet. That's the worst. Water. That's the worst. That's the worst. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But then when you're in the cinema and you watch a film, I, I watched the Scorsese from the other day, Killers of the Flower. Oh, oh, I And you're yeah. taken away, right? And then you get out of the cinema after three hours and a half and you're like, where am I? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's like, oh, I, I was in this world for a while. Yeah. And they got out and you take five minutes to readjust to your like, okay, my car, where am I? Yeah. And this yeah. is, the, I think this is the thing that we like about watching it in the theater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? um yeah it just you can't beat that feeling well yeah and as, as as like an artist right there's nothing better than having a clear palette right you go in mm -hmm. you shut off all the lights you know unfortunately for some of the big ones you have to sit through some coke commercials or whatever the fuck it is <laughs> but then you get to a point where like they they finally dim down all the lights and what it hopefully does and what it does for me is that all those things that i was thinking about before there they start to sort of disappear and the sort of pageantry of it mm. starts to reset your brain to a point and then there's nothing more exciting for me at least to watch the first two minutes of a movie because you're just like 
where are we? How's this work? And like, it's there's a sense of bewilderment mm-hmm. in the beginning. And so knowing that, do you guys keep all that in in consideration when you're designing yes. the beginning of your films? And I also care a lot about the sound environment before mm-hmm. watching my film. So yes, when I designed every shot, I definitely imagine it on the big screen. Yeah, so, yeah. Every film that re- every film festival that rejected me, I like secretly. Why to my husband like they must have seen my film on this on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> Just looking for some excuse. I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised with some, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but also I don't want to be on your bad side. You got a lot of like really evil, vindictive stuff going yeah. underneath the skin there. And she's she's very charming in real life. And <laughs> rage. Yeah, she just leans right into that microphone. They could fucking die. <laughs> and you can see all that in my film. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want. I once thought that way, but now that I've got a, a kid that makes me happy every morning, I'm like, eh, it's not so bad. I'll stop ruining the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's your problem. You're doing like, happy now. I go on Vimeo, <laughs> I go on Vimeo and, I, and I track what people watched my film, and yeah. then when it stops at like, you know, 30 seconds in, they, they pieced out. I'm like, fuck you. Like, I'm, I'm like, you. Yeah, like, I will destroy you. I will end you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the Vimeo analytics is really helpful, kind of being able to look at that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I don't. I don't even look. See, I, I think I would just become very hateful if I did that. I just sort of send yeah. it off into the ethos, and I go, "You're either cool or you're not cool. You're either on yeah. board or you're not on board." It's really helpful, especially once like self tapes became a big thing, because then you could like yeah. you had the ability to look and go, "Did they even fucking look at my thing?" Yeah, mm-hmm. and then so, you, then you just you know uh, then this little thing grows in your stomach. Yeah, because there's nothing you could do about it. Yeah, it becomes this hateful little thing. Resentment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so okay cool so then let's talk a little bit about the specifics i wanted to talk to you right because you said uh you started as a documentarian right and i've worked as like for years i was a documentary cinematographer it's a whole different game right because with documentaries you're almost like a nature photographer where you're out there and you're hunting for a narrative and you're digging for a narrative and you're finding something and then there's uh, all of the uh, ethics that come with building a narrative with the doc, and then uh, doing a uh, like uh, a thematic uh, like drama or whatever. My brain, Jesus, mm-hmm. um, it's much different because it's it's front loaded as far as all the planning is concerned. Was that a big uh, shift and adjustment for you? It, it definitely was a, a big shift for me. I got initially I got into documentary because I sort of started in a. Um, well, I, I grew up in a small town outside of Dubai in the United Arab Emirates back in the day when it was just a desert. So, <laughs> okay. so there was no really like a, a film culture back then. Um, and there were no actors. So I, I, I always knew I wanted to do genre. Mm-hmm. But out of necessity, I got into documentary because at least I could find authentic stories and tell them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that for now until mm-hmm. I figure out my way out. Um, and I loved it, you know, and like you said, you learn stuff because I, so I did visual, uh, visual, um, uh, visual, like graphic design school. I didn't do film school. Okay. Uh, so you learn things when you're doing documentaries and like you said, the ethics and like you, you just, you don't just use people and go away. You have to build a relationship with them. You have to become friends with them. And if it's something that has a social, social issue or a social cause, you want to try to help them tell their story. Yeah. You're not just there to make your film and, and never talk to them again. Yeah. You know, you need to help them. Um, one of the things I did, I did like a, a little d- documentary in uh, the refugee camp in Jordan. And that was a, a crazy moment for me because that when you talk about the ethics, 
Yeah. Uh, you talk to these people and you're like, this is not about me. Yeah. Not about my film. Mm-hmm. It's about them. And I have to make it good for them so they can tell their story to the world. I'm literally just observing yeah. and trying to make it obviously uh, as emotional and engaging as possible, but it doesn't become about that. Yeah. Now, when I start, when I moved to the UK and I started to have, you know, there's an infrastructure around me and I'm like, finally, I can go back to what I always wanted to do. Uh-huh. Right. And yeah, that shift is insane. The difference is totally insane. You're still telling stories but you're creating it from scratch. Now, obviously you have references and you have stories, but you have to create everything. You don't know what you're going to get, but you have to write it. And then when you write it and you go to shoot it and you're like, oh shit, it's not the same. (laughs) This is not how I imagined it going to be. I'm a failure. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then you go through this whole thing when you shoot it and you go to the edit and you're like, this sucks. Yeah, Man, Mm. I don't know what I'm doing. And you Mm -hmm. you start to learn, Uh, especially that I also, as a documentarian, I was, sometimes I shoot, uh, and direct and edit and I moved to the genre I was editing as well oh my god the things you learn to sort of out of necessity because you're, you first got you're like this is disgusting yeah. I don't know what I've done <laughs> yeah. I need to find things to help the storytelling yeah mm-hmm. so there's sometimes you know I on this latest film I was I think I was a year and a half in post for wow. a short just because I was trying to learn certain things where I missed out in the script or we didn't cover it in, on location and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. How am I going to help it in the edit? Mm-hmm. And then I'll be sitting and watching something and literally there is an insert that somebody used and I'll be sitting and I'll be like, aha! And I just literally pause and go to the edit suite like, there you go. I, yeah. And mm-hmm. it took me a while. To, it's a learning. It's like I'm editing something totally different. Yeah. So that shift is, is insane. This past two, three years on this film. It's like it feels like I'm learning totally something else. And funny enough, I still get commissioned to do documentaries, yeah. like branded content. And when I go back to documentaries now, I feel it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to prep? Yeah, I know what to do. Like, it, yeah. it just, yeah. this is harder for yeah. me. Yeah, no, dude. It, it feels harder. <laughs> 100%, man. And you bring up some interesting points here, right? Because um, there's, I think that there's nothing more important as a filmmaker than to understand the edit. And if you don't do your own editing, you have to really be in an edit room and understand how pieces come together because, um, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole language that you can't figure out until you do it. Right. Everybody's shaking their heads. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It's like, I found the same thing, right? So you, you have this idea, and I find that when I when I when I come up with something, right, I write it down on the paper, and it's usually half-assed. It's usually just some sort of thing, right? You put it down on the paper, and then you think, okay, how has this been done before, right? When, especially when you're younger, like, oh, I love David Fincher, so I think I'm going to try to do like a David Fincher thing. So then you sit, you you watch like panic room or you watch his stuff and you're like okay so when he does dialogue scenes like he covers it from the floor and then he da, 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 da. and so then you make this list of stuff and you go and you shoot it and you go uh this doesn't work because it's not my thing and it's not it, it, i'm not actually following the action i'm not actually following the emotion that's on that screen and you don't realize it doesn't work until you're in the edit room do you guys agree everybody's sort of shaking it. anybody can chime in on this one um, I had a, an unusual experience on Honk because I have an editor that I worked with previously, uh, Mark Polvinsky, great guy, and we started to edit Honk together, uh, and we cut maybe two minutes of what's now a 12-minute plus short uh, the first weekend, and then, sadly, his mom passed away. Oh, no. So he had to bail out for a bit, totally understandably. Yeah. But because I we shot 
in Georgia in March, I think, um, the weather, the, the seasons were changing, right? So the trees started going, were going to become green, having been gray and ashen as they were. That's why we shot that way. Yeah. Um, so I had to jump in and I hadn't edited, honestly. I mean, I'm like the elder statesman here. I haven't edited since film. Yeah. Like 16 millimeter when I was in film school. Yeah, yeah. So I had to just jump in and start cutting because I needed to know, did we have the film? Did I have to go out and shoot some more while the weather was still, you know, approximately the same? Yep. And so I just started cutting just to try to do it. And then it became an obsession. I could not walk away from it. Yeah. I kept cutting and cutting and cutting. And I felt like I was almost genetically bonding with the film in a way that I had not previously on any of my projects. Mm. And I have a documentary background as well. Not as important or as serious as yours. I, I, did, I did like making ofs of movies for a while. But it was still the same process of like reality's happening. I need to capture it and find the story. Mm. Right. Now it was sort of like I need to find the story I wrote and then shot, but now in a, in a way that I hadn't had to do before because I had editors I worked with. Sure. And I appreciated having another perspective in the room, yeah. having a fresh set of eyes to say, okay, what you had in mind is not working. How do we fix that? Mm -hmm. So this time I had to power through on my own and, yeah. and figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And and I loved it. I learned so much. I learned more on this tiny little short film yeah. than I had like in 20 years in the industry, you know, working on big films, working on my own stuff. Yep. Yeah, so I, I, I'm really glad I got forced, again, sad reason, but I got, I got forced to edit this. And now I'll never go back. Now I'll always want to edit. Yeah, yeah. On. I don't want you to discount your documentary background. We'll come back to it because I got a lot of questions about that. Okay. But how do you feel about editing? Oh, I'm upset with editing. What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, I edit most of my works, not this one, because um, I, I need to learn to work with an editor. Uh -huh. but, but I used to edit all my work. And sometimes I'm... I'm so into it. When I watch other people's film, mm -hmm. I download it because I want to know if I can make it better. <laughs> I'm like, mm, I don't like how they edit the scene, yeah. so I like, edit my own version. Um, or like, or some uh, like some of my friends have the film. I'd be like, do you have other footage? How many takes do you have for this shot? Can I have them? <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. I love that you're like thrift shopping other people's movies. <laughs> it's like pulling pieces. I'm like, let me try something else. <laughs> Well, so you bring up an interesting point, right? Because there is this progression as you sort of teach yourself how to edit, you mm -hmm. sort of are awakened by editing. And then as you progress as a director, you sort of get to a point where it's like, I can't do all these things anymore. And I want to get to a position where I'm doing bigger things. And then you have to learn the art of translating what's in your brain to somebody else that's in the room. And then also interacting with that person and allowing them to bring their own skills into it it's very difficult that's a whole new challenge yeah. <laughs> especially that I'm, I'm so controlling myself like i need to I, I need to like remind myself don't don't use her as, a, as your mouse it's not your it's just not your computer yeah, <laughs> yeah that's I'm a good here. point so yeah every time i read a film i try to like stay away for one to two weeks just completely cut it off my brain yep. and just let the editor do her thing. And I, I tell the editor to completely drop the script, just recreate. You can change the structure. You can even change the story if you think it's better. And mm. just surprise me. That's pretty remarkable that you're able to sort of detach from it so well. And also to be like, look, take the reins, you know, start from scratch, do it. Because uh, you know, you often hear about people being able to sort of give up that amount of control. So, 
That's that's pretty cool, well, man. Well, my reaction after I come back is another thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what's that like? What's <laughs> what's that reaction like? <laughs> it depends, but yeah. Yeah, sometimes I get surprised too yeah. by yeah. how editor like make it even better than I expected. Mm. Well, that's what you want, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what yeah. we do. I mean, that's been the theme that we've been talking about on this show is like yeah. creating these environments, like running around with lightning rods and looking for lightning that strikes and on all levels. Like whether you're talking about your casting sessions or whether you're talking about on set or or being aware in the moment and changing your plan because something's really great and you chase it and especially in the edit room because the that is a whole new world of creation right and the edit room is like the only thing the edit room is controlled by is what footage it has in the actual machine the rest of it it's like this really sort of cool self-contained space in which you're discovering and the, like you're actually finding the pacing and finding the characters which is great um, I learned um, how to communicate and work with an editor doing commercials for so long and doing music videos for so long and working for agencies for so long where oftentimes they don't even let you cut the piece and you're sort of involved with that. And my new move, I love it when I can do it. It's not, it's rare that I get to do it, but when I do, I find that I'm actually just sort of directing the edit space for an editor. So like, I'll be that guy that comes in with a six pack of beer and barbecue. You know what I mean? And that's what my day-to-day -day task is where it's like, what's up? And the editor's like, and they're in there being fucking crazy. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, we got some sweet food coming in. We got some cool stuff happening. It just to, to make it so that they feel like they could flow with it. And then, I find that when I direct editors, I do it the same way now that I direct actors, where instead of telling them to do things, I ask them why they're doing things. What is What were you thinking here? Like, what does this mean for you? What are you seeing? Because the editor is the first audience, like really the first mm. step to see that. And so when they're looking at your footage clean, they're seeing all these things that we're not seeing. We're looking at like, here's where the actress was my was a pain in my ass all day, and this is the finally the fucking take that I got out of this, and this is the sun's going down in the background, and this is a matching the other thing. That's all the shit that we're bringing to it. But they're just sitting there going like, whoa, whoa, whoa. the way that person turns here, that sets up all this stuff. And you go, oh, oh, okay, that's why you're here. That's why you're here. That's why you're cool. Do you guys also, feel that? Dude, I'm sorry. You got to give yourself credit too, because I think like your edit, your editing is so strong. And then like coming in and sitting in the space with you and watching you work on it, like, Mike's really good about like going, okay, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And then you start to think about like, well, is this how the editor process always is? And then sort of seeing like if you're editing for someone else, that like you have that open mindedness of like you're coming in, you're sitting and looking at this thing, like, well, what do you think while you're here? Like, does this cut make sense? Or like, what does this make you feel in this beat? What's does something feel weird? And sort of seeing that like that openness and that collaboration, you're like, right, it's another little check of the box to be like, yeah, this is how the collaboration is supposed to work. And you just kind of apply that to other areas. Yeah, thanks, man. I think one of the things, obviously, the, the good thing about having an editor is that they don't have the emotional attachment that you yes. have. You sit, uh, sometimes for me, especially the first shot on the first day, takes forever and it's the worst shot all the time. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you're like, I spent six hours on this. I want it in the edit. And then if it's another editor, will be like, this is shit, doesn't work. Throw it out. And you're like, no. <laughs> no, keep it. Um, so this is one of the things, right? Like, Editors are also storytellers. And one of the, I remember before moving into genre and drama, there was this amazing quote by Luc Besson. He said, is it Besson or Besson? Yeah, Besson. Yeah, yeah Besson. He's like, the, the film is, is made in three times. The story is told mm -hmm. three times. When you write it, when you shoot it, when you edit it. And mm -hmm. I thought in documentary, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, but then I'm like, when you have a script, how much really are you going to change? And I was so wrong. Yeah, <laughs> And I'm like, 
oh my god you can change the whole thing yeah dude you can literally even with the three takes doesn't matter you can change it so they're story storytellers that is a storytellers that yeah. they help you a lot of my filmmaker friends tell me if you ever come across a good editor hold on to them yeah, yeah. <laughs> never let yeah. them go because Marry it's really them. hard yeah yeah, yeah. i edit now because i have to whenever i like i'm in search of that perfect editor who's gonna come and make my work a lot better and I, i'd be like sitting like you and be like here's some beers some nice food coming in <laughs> do your thing let me know you know uh, yeah. but yeah it's it's an uh, it's a really i think it's an underappreciated art form yeah it, they are storytellers too i agree with you completely man and, and, and like just when you say that when you made that comment which is like you know it's written as a script how much is this going to change i like now when i was younger i didn't when i was younger and i started making movies i you know i loved hitchcock and i used to do stuff on 60 millimeter black and white and do, i did steam back cutting like and that you have to be incredibly specific because you take three frames out of here you hang it on literally a bin which is like a trash can and then that three frames gets lost in this bin of tails and you're like fuck i guess i have to sort through these to find that so you're incredibly specific about how you plan and how you put things together and when you do it that way it is so fucking boring like the most exciting portion of it was when you start and you you're like oh cool here are my storyboards and then you get in the edit room and i remember i was cutting and uh, I, I went to new york film academy years this was like 1999 so i'm i'm cutting in this like basement where it's like 20 steam bags and all these other film students are in there and Steambacks are these platter editors where you put the film on and it runs through a projector and it projects on this little screen and, and you're cutting. And that's kind of what the whole thing is. So I'm in that space and I have it booked for 48 hours straight, right? I have my movie cut in about six hours. That's how fast it was. It was just tick, 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 boom, 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 boom. And I watched it and I go, cool, all right, great. But I looked around the room and I saw all these other kids that were doing it differently and they were discovering things and they were finding things. I had a friend of mine that overexposed film. So it was just clear film. And then he had Sharpies and he was just animating with Sharpies on every frame of the film to, to do like a dream sequence. And I was just watching these kids and the pure level of enjoyment and excitement that they had. I was jealous and completely fucking envious. And that moment changed the way I make movies. It really does. And it opened me up to like, not just the collaboration process, but like the understanding that as a director, and I won't ramble on this, but the understanding of, uh, of a director first is not knowing all the answers, not knowing where it's going to go, having an idea of where it's going to go, and finding the confidence to like walk out into the ocean and see what we're going to find. Do you guys feel that way? Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I, I think that I look, I think you can always begin with a, uh, a fincherized prevised down to the frame version of the movie yep um but then you might miss out on some happy accidents and some things that just reality gifts you along the way and that goes to the documentary vibe is like you know you do not wake up that morning knowing exactly what you're going to get even if you designed the film to the nth degree it's like it's there's still gonna be things that like throw you off right yeah but look for those things and cherish them because you might have a surprise that you did not in a million years expect or, or envision or imagine that's going to be handed to you and you can't miss that opportunity because i've seen people do that i've seen people like say no this is my previs it has to be exactly like that down to the frame down to the lens everything and i feel like well that is not an organic artistic creative way to make a film that's like you're you're like an engineer you're like you're creating a bridge you yeah know? yeah or a toaster it's like you're not yeah. making art 
Yeah. And I feel like you absolutely need to like embrace the the accidents of that reality gives you because they're they're gifts. Yeah. And then when you, then then you find I find that uh, a big question that I get from a lot of young filmmakers is like, how do you develop your sense of style? Like, how do you develop your tone and your voice? And I found that people know me for everything that I do when I'm trying to fix my mistakes. And suddenly through the process of me fixing my mistakes, there's some sort of new tone, there's some sort of new voice involved. And so now people, like I'll work really hard. I, like I was also a photographer for years. And uh, I was at one point, we used to have, I used to shoot photos for the Boston Phoenix, which is like a big magazine, big underground magazine. And I would do covers all the time. And uh, I remember someone called me up and they said, hey, there's a new issue of the Phoenix this is totally your work. And I said, how do you know? Because they didn't put my name on the thing. And they go, I just look at it, it's your work. And I was just pissed. I was like, fuck, I worked really hard to make it to be something else. And they go, no, it's just, it's your work. And you realize that uh, you can't really make your sense of style. It's the sort of reactionary to everything that's happening. Do you guys mm. feel the same way? Yeah, I'm also constantly surprised by how they create, like, how my creativity changed throughout the time. Mm -hmm. I think I collect a lot of things just from the movies I love, or I sort of make them subconsciously. Mm -hmm. but, but then I combine things, I add things in it, and my own probably life experience and culture, and and made something new out of it. Um, but to circle back what you said about editing, uh, creativity in the editing process, I think even that changes. Mm. So what I added today might be different from what appears to be perfect for me tomorrow. Mm -hmm. like sometimes I watch two movies and I come back and I'm like, oh, now I want to do it differently. <laughs> Isn't that annoying? <laughs> it is, man. Uh, well, you, you, cut, you cut something and you think it's so great and then you like go make yourself some dinner and you're you're, you're on a high you're like yeah, i crushed that and then you come back and you watch it again and you go Ugh. <laughs> and that you also understand the power of context at that point you understand the power of setup at that point you know and like it doesn't matter how great our movie is if you're coming at it without the lights going down and the tonal ride and when we were mentioning how terrible it is to have stuff at home that way because people are changing their tonal context of your movie every time they decide to go back to the refrigerator or they get a text on their phone mm. they're changing the atmosphere of your film that's super annoying you know i know you guys are all like yes 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 well i've got some questions for you correct me if i'm wrong you've spent time being a behind the scenes documentarian on some pretty big fucking movies am i correct on this yes yeah <laughs> so you followed around and been able to see the mistakes of a lot of huge directors right uh yeah m i mean mistakes but also you know amazing decisions and, and and incredible creativity um i've been very lucky to basically you know it's not like the traditional shadowing a director gig but it was like i was observing like all the stuff that was happening on set and you know like closed door arguments with studio executives i mean i was, yeah, I was there for a lot yeah, of that that's awesome man. and i was lucky enough to be able to include a lot of that in my documentaries i mean i think that's one thing that a lot of behind the scenes stuff tends to be promotional or or have a really glowing positive look back at things and and i try to follow everything journalistically i try to follow what's the story and by the way it's not bad if a filmmaker comes up against a challenge or yeah. an argument or whatever because out of that 
might come some amazing idea they didn't have previously. And I love seeing that happen. And I love, and, it, and, it, and it's more of a triumph because they get to the end. They finished the film and they went through hell to get there. Mm-hmm. So it's not bad to talk about the hell yeah. because they got there. Yeah. You know? And it's when it's, oh, so-and-so's a genius. And this film was so easy. It was a pleasure to come to set every day. It's like, it's not true, one. Yep. But two, it's like it diminishes the the achievement. Yeah. So that's why my documentaries have always tried to embrace the the honest, you know, the uphill climb of making a film. And sometimes, you know, like in the case of Blade Runner, I, I directed Dangerous Days making Blade Runner. And that was awesome because at the time it was my favorite film and I was completely obsessed with it. Yeah. And, and I got to go deep on that film in terms of I went through all the dailies. I got to go. I spent six weeks going through all the Blade Runners dailies. Holy shit. Yeah. The original, the original one. Yeah. I'm that old, yes. No, um, no, just, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no. The, so the I, I, I well, well, so Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Yes. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Got a lot of questions for this yeah. guy. Um, no, I spent. I mean, really quickly, I went to USC Film School, and I realized I had to get a job out of film school. So I started interning like crazy. Yep. I interned for like Lucasfilm and, and Joel Silver, and I did some helping at James Cameron's company for a while. But uh, the one place I clicked at was Scott Free, was Ridley and Tony Scott's company. Yeah. And so I spent 20 years working with those guys uh, or with the company and and Ridley and Tony for a lesser time, obviously. But um, and I and I got some amazing uh, experiences out of that. And part of that was Ridley putting me in charge of his, uh, you know, DVD and then later Blu-ray home video content and the documentaries and, you know, commentaries and deleted scenes and all the good stuff that we love. I was doing that for for quite a long time. So, uh, but but a lot of that was the older films. Like the first one I worked on was the first Alien DVD, where I was supervising uh, the the overall you know bundling of the content, but also the new transfer. I supervised that. So, but then I grew to bigger responsibilities, um, and I would do older films like Blade Runner or Gladiator or mm-hmm. Legend. Or I'd work on those projects. But um, th- then I started documenting the current films. Um, in fact, one day I was at the uh, RSA uh, office in West Hollywood and he, uh, I guess it was, it was the night after Project Greenlight had first aired mm-hmm. on HBO mm-hmm. and everyone was talking about it. And and Ridley like leaned over and he said, did you watch Project Greenlight? I said, yeah. And he was getting ready to start Matchstick Men at the time. Mm-hmm. And he said, you want to do that for Matchstick Men? I said, okay. And as it turned out, I had a camera in my car and I started documenting that day. And I documented, all, I mean, it wasn't like every day, but like most days. And so when that was done, I had the full scope so cool. of the Ridley Scott experience on a really fun film. Yeah, shot in L.A. You know, every, and that was kind of a joy to work on. That I mean, there were there were definitely some hardships along the way, but on the whole, it was a very positive yeah. movie to work on. And um, and that I was allowed to document, like like Nicolas Cage was okay with me in his dressing room, like putting on clothes, like trying on costumes. He was fine with that. <laughs> yeah, Ridley yeah. had allowed it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And um, when Ridley speaks, yeah. <laughs> Um, so it was, uh, it was, that was the best film school. I was better at film school than the actual film school I went to. Dude, I, okay, two things. One, I envy that. That's really awesome. And then two, I've seen, I'm sure I have studied and seen most of these docs and things that you put out on DVDs and they're great. And what I've always loved about, especially the Ridley Scott stuff is that it seems to be the antithesis of the, oh, he's a great director because that's what we came up with, right? As a kid being a product. And I've talked about this and bitched about this on the show multiple times, being a product of the the 90s and a kid of the 90s i would just watch whatever sort of epks that you might be able to find on like a laser disc or whatever that is and then at that point you go oh cool all i have to do is be this kind of godly guy because that's all they were promoting like he's on set everybody likes me and all that stuff it was bullshit it was absolute bullshit and 
you know, finding stuff like your pieces. And then that's what this show ultimately is about, you know, because we're anti-bullshit because this job sucks for everybody. This job is the same for everybody. And it doesn't matter if we're doing a, a short film or if Ridley's doing some sprawling epic. He has the same first shot day that we all have. He has the same things that we deal with. And once you understand that, it, it becomes a lot more manageable. Like the whole process becomes a lot more manageable. And like when, and I'm rambling, but I had a very specific day on 12KM. I hate what was shooting this movie about a Russian drill team in the 1980s, and I'm doing an entire movie in a language I don't speak. So I have two translators on set to translating it and doing this bit. And I remember I was very nervous about the first day because I have so many variables. We had like a steady cam shot, 30 extras, like all this stuff that was pretty intense. And the, the night before I was like, had all that anxiety, like, like what the fuck am I doing? Am I, why am I making this movie? And am I doing this stuff the right way? And all I did was hunted. I hunted and hunted for interviews with all the directors that I liked and looked for them. And they all went, first day's going to suck. First day's going to suck. And as soon as I got that, I went, okay, this is the job. This is the job. It's not that it's going to be awesome all the time. The job is, is that it's going to suck. And how do I get through the first day? And if the, the only reason why they're as successful as they are because they got through the first day. So, all right, if it sucks, then I'm still doing the right job. And that, that changed my entire perspective of directing and being comfortable on set. And it's because of like really good doc stuff, man. I remember reading that you had done that and that's why I wanted to get you on the show. Well, no, thanks. I, uh, I, I think about um, Stanley Kubrick when he, the DGA gave him some Lifetime Achievement Award and he conveyed a story that Steven Spielberg once told him about the, like, the toughest part of directing is getting out of the car in the morning. Yeah. And, and when I heard that story and it came down to me documenting Matchstick Men, I said, I have to be at Ridley's car day one of the shoot. <laughs> so I, was, I, I camped out by his, car, by his parking spot on the set in the, in the valley, in, in San Fernando Valley. And, and you, if you watch my documentary, you, it's in there, it's in the doc. He gets out of the car and he catches my, you know, we, he sees me. And he like looks up. He says, "Jesus Christ, he's filming already." <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was his hard part. We're seeing like, the camera already. <laughs> You're like, "You did this." <laughs> so oh, cool, great. man. Lots of stuff. You and I could do a whole fucking episode, which we hey, might have it. to do let's that. Do yeah, let's it's it. really cool stuff. Um, so let's talk about like the first day for you on this film. Did you feel that way getting out of the car? Was it tough? The toughest part is to fall asleep the night before. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can never, every time, yeah. Yeah, day zero. Yeah. Night zero. Oh, my God. <laughs> Usually I get like one hour, one, two hours sleep. But the adrenaline will keep me up. Yeah. Keep me going the next day until the third day. I'm like. <laughs> and then you just crash out pretty hard. Yeah. Do you find, I find that there's like this weird sort of trauma thing that happens after shooting, especially for a long period of time where you start having set nightmares. And you have set nightmares like two or three weeks later where you're sitting there and you're just reliving moments and, and stress and anxieties. And you wake up and you go, fuck, ah, I got to call this guy because he's supposed to be on set on time. And you go, oh, shit, dude, you've already shot the movie. <laughs> it's like the nightmare. You're like, you're on set and you don't know your lines at all. Yo, you you wake up and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. I'm not even there anymore. Okay, yeah, great, yeah. great. 
is that it, we trauma is a pretty big theme on our show and i feel like our our job is very traumatic on us and it, it weighs pretty heavily because we put a lot of stress on everything that we do like each and every one of these projects will define us forever and whether or not our life is cool after this is based upon how good we do on set you know do you guys feel the same way yeah i think so i mean for me on this one there was a, obviously a lot of things went wrong uh our producer had to leave the project one week before we started filming so me and my cinematographer had to step up and produce it besides the fact that i'm directing and i we shot this in canada mm -hmm. with a crew and a team that i don't know <laughs> I, I didn't know anybody i didn't know anything i went from the uk to canada to shoot this i only knew my cinematographer and the night before i was terrified because i'm gonna have to produce direct i didn't have an ad yeah and it's a genre i've never done before and the first thing we decided to do the shots with special effects <laughs> i'm like i never did this before holy fuck we obviously we planned it and i had the special effects supervisor nothing too complicated just a bit of blood and a gunshot but i you know as a for me that day directing was the easiest job i was doing yeah. I'm like shot shot done but then special effects blood clean this up where is my ad i don't have an ad fuck i need to produce where's the food was a nightmare yeah and it obviously because i was so busy and occupied when we finished shooting and when i was editing i realized that there were things where i did with one take one take and we moved on and i didn't even realize that on set <sighs> like fuck, i didn't even do safety on this <sighs> insane and then I, you know i'm sitting in the end and i'm like what a total mess but it worked <laughs> but, but never again you know yeah, as in yeah. to produce and direct and, and there's the learning the right there yeah that's the learning yeah, man but it was just we were you know i've already it's uh, the project started and stopped many times through COVID, through so many things and i was like that's it i got the money we have to do it i'm not stopping producer left we have to do it right and it just i'm just it, i started you know started on this in 2018 or 17 it's just a short film it shouldn't take this long so it's like we're going <laughs> i don't care we're, we're doing this um but yeah like next time probably i'll wait get another producer because it was tough and the yeah. easiest thing i was doing is directing and until now i like you know those nightmares like fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah next time i better be really prepared for for everything else all the issues and all that running around and how many days did you shoot for us we're just was it two days or three days and on the second day one of the um, best boys stepped up as an AD for me to help me because he's oh, like, look, nice. I've been around sets a lot. I can AD. I'm not very experienced, but I can help you. I'm like, please, please, because I cannot be running around getting the actors mm -hmm. while I'm directing and we're two different places. It's mm -hmm. impossible. Mm -hmm. um, when, so those, he, when those people come out of nowhere and they yeah, do that, they're like, they're like angels that just sort I of know. like and he was, step up. Yeah, he was doing ADing and also helping with lighting. And I'm like, this guy is a legend. He helped because he took a big load of, you know, like literally just running around, getting the actors. I'm like, please get me the actors here because I had to run, get them and then direct them. And the, he was, yeah. So when there are people like this in the crew, mm -hmm. you're like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> you just made my life so much easier. yeah you end up yeah. becoming a, like a best friend forever yeah for yeah that. exactly mm -hmm. so we shot for i think it was two days <laughs> it definitely <laughs> felt longer <but> <laughs> that's crazy do you have any uh like uh traumatic experiences on this one yeah but it was it was beforehand uh i because i was trying to do something i hadn't quite done before in terms of 
going back to the whole documentary thing, it's like I, I used to want to create an environment of telling the story and then the camera would capture it. Mm-hmm. This time, the camera's going to be a character. Mm-hmm. The camera's going to be very specifically targeting things but telling stories. And it's going to be like, I, I definitely, this is like my most shot designed film, I think. Mm-hmm. And that was traumatizing for me because uh, we have this long sequence in the middle of the film of the main character chasing a car. It's a human chasing a car. And there are a million different ways to shoot a car and a car chase yeah. and, and whatever. And I'm trying to think of ways that, first of all, I can afford, I can do in the location that we had, but that conveys the story, but maybe it's a new twist on something. All these things were like jumbling my mind before the shoot. Yeah. So I had a really hard time. I mean, we did we did so many different attempts at like pre-visiting it. Like we got a toy car, an action figure, and we like, you know, moved that around the, the dining room table and we shot that with an iPhone to get the angles. Is that does that work? Uh we actually got a real car and my producer Jeremy Emmerman, we went out in our neighborhood and just started like figuring out the shots again with an iPhone. And even that was not satisfying to me. So until we actually got out there and I could see it and feel it. Uh, it started then it started to come together in my head and then I felt more comfortable about what we were doing but it wasn't until to follow up on the editing story earlier when I was cutting to see if we had to shoot more because the weather was changing yeah in fact I did have to shoot more I, or I chose to shoot more yeah because I thought I wanted to make more of a meal of this middle part of the movie yeah so we we added a day it's like my my mandate was we're gonna make this film for five thousand dollars or less mm-hmm. and when I added that day we kicked it up to about seven thousand mm-hmm. but that's not bad i think that's seven thousand for this film i'm really happy with so this is self-financed by you yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 that's great and so it was like all right let's go really shoot the hell out of this car and let's go do some really good car stuff with it got a drone we like you know we went nuts on the car stuff but we didn't use everything i just wanted to have stuff on the shelf that i could pull down like we need that moment here and we've got it because we got that angle covered it became more of like a puzzle at that point the action for, is action yeah. is very much a puzzle um but that's, again, it was like having the headaches and the nightmares beforehand, the trauma, was knowing that you had to make a puzzle but not having all the pieces or not knowing if you had all the pieces. Yeah, yeah. And then you put it together like, oh, shit, I don't have all the pieces. Or I have enough. You see the image. You see the, the barn and the cow, yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the puzzle, but you don't have the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to get a couple more clouds in the sky. I want to get a couple more things in, in my puzzle. Yeah. So that's what we did on, on the one additional day of shooting we did. Well, I, uh, there's this whole... I feel like it came out in like the industry rags and all that shit. There's this whole bit on like, if you got to do reshoots, you're kind of a shitty director and you're a failure. It's dumb. It's really dumb. I mean, because you, the edit process isn't a process of, of, of uh, grading you on how well you were on the set. The edit process is taking these elements and then transforming them into something new. And there's nothing more disappointing then if you can't go shoot something and you see an avenue that the footage is pulling you in a certain way and you're like, man, this transforms my movie and all I need is another close-up of the actor doing this thing. And, and I think when we do short films, I think it's better for us to do, because especially if we're self-financing it, we can do that. You, like you start getting into the feature game and like maybe they'll give you a week of reshoots, but you're not going to be able to do that as much. Like we... We shot our piece um, in my garage, and then we also shot a big sequence of it in the hallway to my bathroom in the house, mm-hmm. you know? And so we had the, for- I was fortunate enough to be able to cut this in multiple stages where like I did a mm-hmm. series of editing and I went, 
oh shit, this movie needs to be bigger. So then we started to design it bigger. And then as I went through that process, I went to the second edit and I go, oh, what you did on set in this moment, which we thought was that emotional beat, Mm -hmm. isn't the right emotional beat for it. So how do we cleverly have you just come right back in, we'll do it on a tight shot. Mm. And the best shots in a movie are when we pivoted in the post because it transforms when... He comes out of this dream sequence without giving too much away. He comes out of this dream sequence. And initially, the whole dream sequence came to us when we were lighting. And we had this uh, spotlight. And I was playing with it. And the spotlight had this iris on it, which was super cool. So you could actually open the light. And as we were playing, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you went into some sort of trippy sequence? And we'll use this spotlight and we'll open this light on you like a stage thing. Mm -hmm. And it was so like half-assed and last minute. We were like, okay, cool. Let's try it. And then that led us down this road of like, you're going to go on this trippy adventure mm-hmm. just because of finding this thing on set with this light. And so as we did that, I couldn't come up quickly enough on set with a good reason why you went on this trippy adventure. Mm-hmm. So the adventure was fun, but the out of it wasn't. You sort of came out and you were like, Wah. and it was like yeah. this sort of really kind of dumb out. And then when we're cutting it in the edit room, I go, man, I wish this was more serious. I wish we had like a more serious out on this. And so I just had you come back in. Yeah. We shot super tight and you gave me in the performance the gravity that that sequence needed, which then yeah. changed the entire. So then that changes the entire edit after that. And then you're in the edit and you go, oh shit, this is serious now. And this mm-hmm. is very emotional now, as opposed to it being goofy. I wouldn't have found that if I was restricted by, okay, how'd you do on set? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just admitting that, you know, it can be improved upon. I feel like reshoots are the exact opposite of laziness. It's going, okay, all right, there's something else that can be done here that can heighten this. Let's go back and do it. Because even when you had asked me, I'd never done reshoots before, and I was so fucking nervous. Like, well, fuck, what if I go in here and I don't deliver like I did last time? And in fact, I didn't deliver like I did before. It was something else. And that thing, that other thing that we found elevated it, made it go forward more. And then watching it, it, those are my favorite shots um, in the piece. And I'm so, not just because they look so fucking cool, but because the performance performance and how it tells the story, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that we went back and did this. And it just, it taught me like looking at the, no, this isn't, like you said, this isn't failure, which I think I agree with you about like the rag mags. It's like you hear about the stories of, oh, they're in reshoots and it's never, they're going back to do reshoots and that's that's good filmmaking. They're trying to make it the best they can. It's That means they're over budget and over schedule and trouble at Marvel. You know, it's like, it's always those things you hear. And I think now after having the experience of getting to do it, I'm like, oh, I don't think that means that things have gone wrong. I think that means they really give a fuck. Yeah. I mean, the problem is the term reshoot. Yeah. It's yeah. additional shooting. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and, but that's not, it's, it's too, too many syllables, I guess. <laughs> versus <laughs> reshoot. Um, but it's like, I feel like uh, Woody Allen famously used to do, he'd shoot like, what, two thirds of the movie, but save six weeks of reshooting or additional shooting later after he had a cut. Yeah. I think that's the way to do it. I think shoot most of the movie, shoot like the, the big broad strokes of it, cut it, and then see what's working, what you're missing, and go strategically in. And then that's the best possible result, I think, of the process. Is very like smart. you're going in, yeah, very informed, very smart in terms of what you need. Yeah, not just like hoping for the best. And I think we got it. And then maybe we have a movie. Uh, whenever I I read about you know reshoots, quote unquote, um, I think oh the studio cares, the filmmakers care. Now sometimes the reshoots are because of tension sure, between sure, the various parties, sure. but I still ad- admire the fact that they are going to go the extra you know mile to quote unquote save the film even though really they're just trying to polish it and make it the best they can yeah did you have any reshoots or for your piece 
No. Or additional shoots, rather. <laughs> additional shoot. Uh, no, not so far. Did you Did you wish you did? Some of them, but I also have this problem that I clean on my work for too long, mm -hmm. and I have to like move on. Um, but I did. Got. I was very traumatized by the lesson you, you mentioned. Um, so I want to second on that. Needing a good AD is so important. Yes. And I AD myself too. I I wasn't. I started ADing since like 2015, and I still do. And I tried to be a you know, good AD. So mm -hmm. I was overconfident when I direct myself. I was like, I can AD myself, you know. Like, yeah. And I'm the best AD for myself, and probably overschedule a little bit. Yeah. Like the same, yeah. Same problem. Mm -hmm. And on the day, yeah, right away I realized, oh, no, I'm, yeah. And, and I had a kid on set, and and a teenager. Mm. I knew I was doing too many jobs. Yeah, yeah. And eventually, I I wasn't direct. Yeah. I wasn't focusing on actors, how they're feeling, why they're why are they not getting there. So last day when I go in, oh, so that was the toughest part. At the end, I go back to my car, shut my door, start crying. Yeah. Right yeah, away, yeah. I fucked up the whole film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I can relate on two levels. One, what I find interesting is uh, one of the, the subtlest things, the subtlest uses of an AD is that the crew isn't hearing my voice all the time. Because if the crew hears my voice as a director all the time, they get kind of tired of it. Yeah. And it gets, so then it sort of devalues when I actually say things. There have been multiple times that I've had to AD my own stuff. And I work with some really great ADs. And my buddy Vlad, who's listening, he's a great director. He was one of my favorite ADs. I joke with him. I go, you need to make an app that just says, quiet on set. Everybody get together. So I could just, when you're not around, I could just go, bop, bop, bop. So that way people are listening <laughs> to you instead of me. Um, that's one thing. And then when you talk about when you talk about crying on set, you talk about sort of dealing with your choices and putting yourself well above your head. Um, I did that on our film, which I talked about on another episode, but I have another story. When I did 12 Cam, which is this big sprawling epic, I'll have to send it to you guys, pretty rad. Um, so we did this piece and I had hired a production design team to come in and really sort of build this sort of drill site period, really cool. But this team was also working during the day on films in Boston because we have a tax incentive. So they were working on like, I think it was surrogates, like that Bruce Willis trashy fucking movie that yeah. came out. So they're doing that and they were working all day and then they do night shifts and they'd come to my space at night. And uh, one of the things that we had to do, these, these uh, uh, scientists are lowering microphones down into this bored out hole in the planet and they're lowering them as low as they can possibly go. And so we need some sort of winch system to actually descend it down into the planet. And this was day one. So we show up, day one, I get to set. I'm working with my cinematographer who I haven't met in real life. We ha we we've been dating over the internet and sort of talking about stuff. And I had to bring him in from New York. And I was like, okay, so I have to impress this guy. Little did I know he's just crude, it doesn't matter. No. <laughs> but prior to that, I was like, I got to impress this guy. So I come in and my AD's there and they, they've been all already there for at least a half hour before I get there and they, they walk up to me. So like I'm coming in and I have my bag, I have my stuff, I'm, you know, I'm excited, I'm trying to set the mood, like how's it going, how's it going, how's it going, I'm excited. I see these guys and they got that walk and they get that look on their no. face. 
And I go, <laughs> and so then uh, Karuta comes over and he shakes my hand. He goes, hey, man, it's good to see you in real life. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, um, have you seen the hole? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, have you seen the hole? And the AD sort of looked behind him. He goes, yeah, the guys, uh, the, 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 uh, the art team left because they were up so late and they had to leave. And so uh, you should probably look at the hole. And so, you know, you do that sort of walk, you walk over and there's this really beautifully built hole and structure for a hole that's like crafted and 3D printed and looks really amazing. And then there's this winch system and over the hole is this tiny little neon blue tripod, like camera tripod. And they were saying that that was what was lowering the, the cable down in the hole. And I just had this moment where I was like, so where, where's the team? And they go, they, they all left. They were so exhausted that they left. I said, so there's no one from the art team here? He goes, no, there's no one from the art team here. So I called the guy on the phone and he goes, oh, and he was exhausted. And he goes, oh, I fucked it all up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm not here. I fucked it all up. And I, you have this moment where you want to like strangle this person. But I go, guy, I know you're exhausted. Sleep, sleep for at least five hours and come back to set. Just sleep. It's fine. So I hang up the phone and I have this steady cam shot that's going to establish everything. It goes into the space, shows everything that's happening. And the highlight is this fucking hole. Like this is what it's doing. You're lowering this cable down in this hole. And I'm sitting there and, and the DP is looking at me and he's like, so uh, I don't know how to make that look good. You know, and he's, he's stressing out because it's his first day. And he's trying to prove it to me that it's, he's going to make something good. And the AD is like, well, we got to start shooting, brother. And we have like all this stuff going. And I have this moment, you know, like it's just vibrating. And this is like day one, you know, mm -hmm. it's just vibrating in my head. And I go, okay, okay, okay. Here's, what, here's what we do. Here's what we do. We're going to shift the schedule. Um, can you, said to the AD, can you reorganize our shots and just shoot all the inserts first? Because all the details in the room look really great. Go shoot all the inserts. And please, for the love of God, keep track of it in your head because this is the wrong way to shoot this. You're supposed to shoot an establishing and go there. He goes, I think we can do it. And I turned to the, to the cinematographer and I go, can you pull this off? He goes, yeah, yeah, I can do it. And I said, go. So then they just went. I didn't even go with them. And I turned to my assistant. This is a long story. I turned to my assistant and I, I said, we have, to, we have to step out. We have to step out. We have to step out. So we step outside and I'm standing on this loading dock outside and the tears and the anger are just welling in me and I'm pacing and I'm pacing back and forth. And I'm having this moment where I go, and I said it out loud, I go, I fucking deserve to be angry right now. I deserve to cry. I deserve to be upset. And he's looking at me and he goes, I don't know how you're gonna, I don't know how you're gonna fix this. I don't know how you're gonna fix this. And I go, I'm like, but I'm not, if I do, what does that do? It does nothing. Mm. I can be pissed, I can be upset, but it does nothing. So I said, let's just take 10 minutes and let's think about this. What can we do? We sit there, we think. And I go, oh, wait, this is his rental house. And there's this place that has this. And there's this place that has that. And I go, get on the phone. It's Saturday. He gets on the phone and calls this guy up. He goes, do you guys do, you know, think Ghostbusters 2 when they're lowering things down in the street? Do you guys do this thing? And the guy on the phone's like, what does that mean? He goes, what do you have? He goes, well, I have this winch system. He goes, can you take pictures of it? He goes, ah, it's Saturday, brother. He goes, no, no, please. Can you take pictures of it? He goes, yeah. So he takes photos, sends it to us. And I go, oh, that's perfect. How far away is that? Oh shit, that's like an hour and a half away. Okay, cool. Who do I send? Because most people mm -hmm. that go won't know how to assemble this thing and know what the fucking pieces are. 
And my brother, who's a construction worker, who I employed to be in the film, he's sitting in the makeup chair and he's like getting all his makeup work done and stuff. And I go in, get out of the fucking makeup chair, get in your truck and drive in this direction. He goes, what do you mean? Just drive in this direction. I don't have an address yet. Just drive in this direction. So he gets in the car and he starts driving in this direction. He's like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. So he drives off. We find the address. We send it to him. He he calls up and I go. He's at the place. He goes. I'm here. This guy's kind of an idiot. And I go. Cool. Uh, can you assemble that thing there? Build it there. Send me a picture of it. He goes. Yeah, I got you. So he puts the whole thing together. Does the bit. Meanwhile, I'm getting pulled onto set. Right. Mm. And they're like shooting all these inserts and shooting all these details. And in my head, I'm like, everything's great. Everything's great. Everything's great. Right. And everybody's sort of looking at you and they're looking at the monitor and they go, wow, it's really pretty. And I'm looking at the AD going, I hope you're fucking keeping track of this shit because we're shooting inserts before we shoot the fucking. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, keep track. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. So then uh, as we're doing this stuff, my brother shows up, right? And then some of the art team comes in, right? They've slept for a little while and they're just, they walk in with their heads real low. And they're expecting me to just flame them out. And they come in and I go, guys, I'm sorry that I made you work so hard and that you were this tired. And don't worry, just assemble this stuff. It's showing up to set. And so while we're shooting this way, they're behind the scenes, like turning like wrenches, like, <coughs> like waiting for the dialogue, like building this whole set. And then what happened was, is like the whole team was so hyper-focused and then they turn and look, and there's the most amazing fucking wind system that's all set up. And I remember, because of the way I handled this, and this is not me bragging, this is just sharing, my AD and my cinematographer turned and looked at me, and the whole crew turned and looked at me, and they went, we're in. We're in for this. Mm -hmm. And that set the tone for everything. And I, I share this story because I feel like it's important to share these stories. It's important to understand that we take on too much. We force people to do too much because it's such a horrible thing, you know? It's about how we handle it that makes us good directors. And I think it's very impressive that you told that guy to go to sleep. Yeah. You know how that's a very tough decision. It, it yeah. seems, yeah, it seems yeah. like a, just a phone call, but when you're under that stress, everything is just about this one mm -hmm. mistake and it's gonna delay and destroy everything. Yeah. I, I, we all know how many directors out there think their work is the single most important thing mm -hmm. in the world. So, you know, while you're in that position <laughs> and you understand that guy needs to sleep at the moment right. and you, your choice was to tell him to sleep first, that's approved. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. You're a good director and a good person. Well, also, like, you, what are you going to do? You're going to bring that guy to get the fucking set. And he shows up. He's and then we just we all scream and throw bricks at him. Like, what happens in that sequence? Oh, man. Yeah. Well, have you ever had a challenging moment like that on set? Uh, probably. Oh, I sometimes I feel cursed. Oh, well, here we go. <laughs> I love the way you tee off stories. <laughs> it's the best. I'll tell you the result first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like lost my location so much. Oh. Usually, Ooh. you know, a week until like what, three days before the shoot. Mm -hmm. um, so my uh, one film before this one in, in film quest so second to the last film um it was supposed to happen the whole film was supposed to happen in the chinese restaurant and it's about rap party because mm. because all the chinese production taiwanese production we all do our rap party in like chinese restaurant with round tables and we got this one and we had a deal everything seemed settled and 
one week ahead, uh, two weeks ahead, we went in and tried to sign the deal memo or something. Mm -hmm. And then the owner all of a sudden asked for a lot of money. <laughs> And where where was this? Where were you shooting? LA. In LA. Uh, now it makes sense. I know. Yes, yeah, yes. I know you need me. <laughs> um, so, and then we started negotiating, but eventually I just couldn't afford it. So, like one week out, we lost the location. And then there was this one night I sit in the car with my DP. We both very quiet. We're like, what now? <laughs> and. All of a sudden, this this hit me. We have a friend who works like part time job in a karaoke, and karaoke is also a big part of our rap party. Mm -hmm. Usually, Chinese rap parties you go to this round table Chinese restaurant and then you go to karaoke. Mm -hmm. And then we decide, okay, how about we make the whole film in karaoke? <laughs> and so we then we go to far far away like 40 miles away <laughs> Jesus! and then we go scout right away like 2 2 a.m mm. thankfully asian karaoke opened up <laughs> so we went there like 1 2 a.m and then we start scouting taking all this um um all these photos and start redoing all the blog redesign the whole film but i think it turned out better yeah, yeah I'm, mm. I'm really glad sometimes some you know big crisis yeah you know push you to be very creative yeah. sometimes i i, I would i would uh, embellish on that and say all the time yeah. i think every time that i've ever had to do it has made it better for me right yeah. every time yeah we had a similar thing happen on um uh on my girlfriend's recent short where we lost a location tried to find a second one it was looking really good it was like oh this is perfect and it started to get really shaky and you have that feeling right then i was like "Ooh, but this feels like that moment this feels like this is going wrong for a reason whatever's next is gonna be it and we're like well what's next then then what's the next thing i, I don't know but i think it's gonna be the one mm -hmm. and we ended up going to um the um not the dp uh the the, the cam op his he hit the warehouse he had where he kept everything we just went in to pick up gear and we were looking at the space and i was like this place is fucking perfect like he has shelves just full of stuff and it's not the most organized guy in the world god bless him he's just total sweetheart but a little messy <laughs> but it just fucking worked for what the space was and i was like why don't you just ask him if we can use his space and then he doesn't got to go anywhere yeah and all of his gears right there so we'll, you know we'll go in and help him you know reorganize and put it all back how he wants it which we could probably help him organize it a little bit too. <laughs> and then, you know, if, if there's any extra gear that he has that he wants to play around with, he doesn't have to load it in his car. He'd be like, it's all right there if you want, you know, if you want to try some weird shit. And it, we were able to like rearrange the entire set, even to the point like we didn't realize the walls in his space were actually fake walls he had built for something else. And they were just up against the original walls. So we were able to take those. He was like, I can just move all this shit and like build the room you want right here. And we were like, what the fuck? That's not our wall? No, look. And he just opens it all up. And we were able to build the set perfectly. And it looked incredible in the end. And I was like, see? This all just worked out even better than anyone had expected. And it's those little happy accidents, man. Yeah. And I think COVID filmmaking <laughs> yeah. is also another, you know, sometimes good restrictions, at least for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we, I made a diet straight during COVID. Um, so we had to restrict our 
uh, limit our crew into mm-hmm. 12. Mm-hmm. So 12 crew plus four cast, that's it, and in a house. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really taught me that, you know, filmmaking can be simple sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you don't need all that much. Yeah. Um, yeah, you'll figure it out. There will be little mm-hmm. miracles like that here and there. And everybody, sometimes because you don't have 50 people crew. Yeah. So everybody was so into this challenge. And they start taking up different roles and trying to help each other, all trying to be creative together. Yeah, my actors are doubling as uh, behind the scene. <laughs> Still, I, I didn't even, I, I sort of knew it. He was wandering around with the camera. At the end, I got this big zip file with all the great photos. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Oh. My boom officer, my, my sound mixer was doing the same thing. Yeah. He's like, I got some photos, you know, if you if you want to use them. I'm like, dude, these are fucking great. <laughs> like, when did you do that? You're supposed to be doing sound, man. <laughs> how, does the, how do the clips sound? Oh, um, I'm always envious when I watch movies from the 1970s and you watch the credits roll and it's like 12 people. And you're like, these movies are what all these big movies are ripping off right now and they made this with 12 people and then you sit through the credits on a Marvel movie and it's like 340 or whatever the yeah. fuck it is and you're just like holy shit man look at uh Nolan's following where it's um it's such a such a great little indie indie feature and it's i think it's just like a handful of people it's like his brother coming in his girlfriend at the time and they're like okay i know you do this but i need you to do this and then like we're gonna shoot every weekend for a year and it's gonna only be this much money because we all have jobs we got to do and so on the weekend you got shit you also want to do so we're gonna shoot this much and i think yeah man like when you have like that small knit crew i think something happens there where people just care even more yeah yeah you know because it feels like oh there's only a few of us what i do has a lot more weight you know, and if I if I'm fucking up or if I'm dropping the ball, it's way more noticeable because there's only a few of us. You know, and I think you just take take a little more care in each step of what you're doing. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a hot second here. I'm gonna do some ad reads. So everybody, hang out. I'm gonna uh, cue this up. Uh, I'm just gonna mute you guys for now. Hold on, and uh, keep bear with me. I'm just gonna play some music. Your boy's doing everything live right now. So let's put on some music. And then I'm going to step up for a second and turn that, that heat up because it's getting real fucking cold in here right now. Hold on. Right. It is time to to uh, show some love and respect to the men and women that make this show. Yeah, the bathrooms done that door right down there in the hall. Yeah, it's all good. We're here in the space. Um, so first up, I want to show some love to our sponsors um, from Fujifilm. Fujifilm. We love Fujifilm cameras. I don't know if any of you guys have used any Fujifilm stuff. Not yet. You should. They have new cameras out in the market. Right now, their GFX 102 is a new medium format camera, which uh, shoots medium format video, amazing medium format video. And it uses all the same sort of technology that their still cameras have been using for years. So amazing color profiles, um, really, really great internal grain management. So if you want to do looks and you want to apply all that stuff and you know you're not going to have a big color grade in the back end, you can actually design the way your footage looks as you shoot it, which is kind of cool. 
Um, some people are like, eh, it kind of locks me in a space, but other times it's great to be locked in a space because then you're not taking this footage and having to go through a whole color grading process. You can make it look good in camera, which I like. I like playing in those boundaries. Um, Fujifilm makes amazing still cameras, amazing video cameras, and more than anything, what I love about Fujifilm is that they care about their filmmakers. They finance short films. Not many companies out there do that. Fujifilm does. Um, and if you guys have been listening to the show, you've been listening to our Fujifilm creator series where I actually get the directors and the filmmakers in and we talk about the films that they made that Fujifilm have helped make happen, which is super cool. Um, I think a lot of other companies out there really need to take note and understand that it's more powerful to help support filmmakers to support their storytelling than it is to send them free gear and hope for an unboxing experience so make sure you check out fujifilm the link is in the description of this episode and i've been berating you all week about clicking these links it's important to us because the links are traceable trackable um and uh it, you know basically Fujifilm won't believe me if I say, man, there's lots of people that listen to the show. They go, yeah, yeah, but how many people clicked our link? Prove it. Prove how many of you are listening to the show by clicking the link in the description of our episode. I see I was really nice that time about saying that one. You know? <laughs> it's like, yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Also supporting the show are our friends from Black Magic, Black Magic Design. Um, great cameras, really great post production. Uh, DaVinci Resolve. I used Resolve to do all the color grading on uh, Come Home and the compositing on Come Home. And we shot B Cam on Come Home with the Black Magic Pocket Cinema Pocket Camera 6K Pro, I think is what it is. Um, love that camera. We were able to shoot all of our close-ups and all of our macro shots and have them seamlessly get dropped into our giant uh, Arial X uh, mini LF footage timeline. Man, your boy, like, really... I Frankenstein that sentence together. It was a good one. Um, I have nothing but good things to say about Black, Black Magic. Do, have you guys... Are you guys using Resolve or doing any color correction in Resolve? Everybody's shaking their heads. Yes, you can, you can talk in the microphone if you want to talk in the microphone. I just want to say that I have a lot of friends who do podcasts. Your ad reads are tremendous. Like, oh, you're an excellent ad reader. I just got. To, I just want to throw that in really quick. So thanks, man. It's all yeah. off the top of my head too. That's what I'm saying. You have no notes. You're just doing it. I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah. How do you do that? I don't know, dude. <laughs> I barely do it. <laughs> it's like someone throws me down the staircase, and I go. Oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, Black Magic Design. Love the company. Love those guys. Make sure you click the link in the uh, description of the episode. Also supporting the show, our friends over at Boca Rentals. If you're in Los Angeles or Las Vegas, Boca Rentals is the place to go for your camera needs, your camera support needs. What I love about this company is that they support young filmmakers and young cinematographers. They know the power of making sure that we get what we need, the training we need, because eventually the Scorseses and everybody else is going to drop off the planet. And if they're just relying on that kind of money, it's a dumb business move. And there's a lot of rental houses out there that will throw away your package to the big boys when they come in. Suddenly the gear you put on hold is no longer on hold anymore. What I love about Boca is that they're completely focused on supporting us young cinematographers and young filmmakers. Go to BocaRentals.com, check out their stuff. If you go to Boca Rentals on Instagram, you, they actually do all sorts of really cool story posts where they'll show footage and what lenses we use for that footage. It's a very useful tool when you're trying to plan out your package or if you're a director and you don't really understand lenses and you don't understand how they work. 
a lot of good stuff. And I, I say this over and over and over again. If you're a young filmmaker, it's important for you to go make friends with your local rental house. Many of you listening are in the UK. Many of you listening are in Australia. You're all over the place. You have to have some sort of local rental house there. Go hang out before you have a project. Go introduce yourself. A lot of these rental houses will put on events and, and training seminars. Go make your presence known. So that way, when you're putting together your own independent piece, you have the ability to call them up and go, hey, uh, can I get it at like 45% off today? You know, it really works that way. So go make relationships with your local rental house. And if you are in Los Angeles or Las Vegas, Boca Rentals, check them out. And I, many of you that go send me pictures of you in the space as if you're bragging about being there and as if you're, you know, you know, giving me encouragement to get off my ass and go shoot something. I, I don't even see it that way. I think you're just bragging, like, look what I'm fucking doing today. What are you doing today? Anyway, a lot of my listeners are assholes. Keep Anyways, them, yeah, keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, of course, Puget Systems, right? We know this. I already did an ad read at the top. Just click the links in the description of this episode. Check out what Puget Systems is working on. There's a lot of new stuff coming out right now. A lot of new software upgrades. A lot of new AI technology that's being integrated in with your edit systems. Like the like the uh, regenerate, what do they call it? The gener generative AI now. So like when you're using Photoshop, you can actually design larger spaces and backgrounds and mm. there's some really cool tutorials on how to actually do that for matte paintings now for your short films so like mm. even though you can't shoot like a massive set you just have like the small set you can actually use ai to extend those sets which oh, is super okay. cool and you so do it I, I did that on honk actually did you do it on honk yeah uh i mean i had visual effects guys do the the, the big shots right but for a lot of the static shots the easy shots i did i used i did photoshop and i used generative fill and man it was like I mean, I, I'm not a pro AI guy, but because it was me and it was basically shots that wouldn't have been done otherwise, I thought, yeah. well, let me kind of do a little, you know, novice matte painting. Yeah. And it was amazing. I still had to do work with it, but, yeah, Photoshop the, but it, it teed it up in a way that, oh, now I feel pretty confident about this shot. Well, this is, I don't want to get too deep into AI stuff, but AI is a tool. And if AI is being used as a tool for by creatives, it's great. If AI is being used as a tool by some rich motherfucker that's sitting in a room and doesn't want to pay people, he can go suck a dick. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, but finally, hold on, let me cue this music again. Oh, your boy is, your boy's hungover today. Uh, finally, those of you listening that are newcomers to the show, and there's a lot of you because this has been a very successful run with us here mm -hmm. at uh, Film Quest. If you're new to the show, you want to listen to it. It's always awkward or, or not even awkward. It's just, uh, it's really tough to look at a cue on one of your podcast players and see that we're, I think we're pushing 300 right now. We're pretty close Getting to close. episode 300. So it's always tough. You're like, oh, fuck, well, how do I start? Well, if you're a true fan, you go back to episode one, you go for the full ride. And what's interesting is that I'm a filmmaker first, and I'm a podcaster second. And so when I talk about how bipolar this business is, you'll hear my tone of voice as we do episodes over the year on whether or not I'm doing good or whether or not I'm not. Mm -hmm. And you'll hear it on the show. Uh, and you'll hear me sort of like in code trying to tell you what's actually happening because mm -hmm. legally I'm not allowed to tell you what's happening. It's a fascinating journey. So if you go from episode one, ride it all the way through, 
But if you're a lazy piece of shit, just go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There I've curated all the episodes by subject material. So like, if you're like, I just want to listen to the directors. I've done that for you. It's all there. You can do that. If you just want to listen to all the chefs. They're all there. If you want to listen to the firefighter episodes. We actually have a good series of me and Gina when we decided to move from Boston and wrap up our family and close businesses and go to Los Angeles. And I document the entire process in a series that's on there as well. So for those of you who are trying to make the jump and leave your family behind and chase this dream and ultimately you know, become addicted to crack on the streets of Los Angeles like the rest of us. <laughs> Episode one is actually really cool. I went back and was looking at um, uh, two days ago and I, I had forgotten how it actually begins. Yeah. And then when I was listening to it, I went, oh, fuck, that's right. This is what we did. And I remember us like being in the studio doing like the voiceover stuff and listening to like the, the ocean from the scene in 12. And I thought, oh, man. What a journey this has been. You know, that's a really clever way to bring attention to yourself. I think you did a really good job there. You like that? Yeah, because Lance came on. Plug. I forgot that you came on the first episode and you actually read the descriptors for 12 Cam. Yeah, that's how we start cool, the whole man. show. Super yeah. cool. Yeah, that was a while ago. I'm very accurate of you to do that. I right, listen, I was trying to give you love for the, how you started the show. It was brilliant, but <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> All right, so that's the ad reads. We'll, we'll lead you out with a little music here and then we'll be right back. I feel like I'm channeling my John Candy right now. With all the beers I've had, I feel like John Candy right now. <laughs> Alive John Candy. Jesus. I know, that was really shitty. That was a really shitty joke. My bad, I love John Candy. All right, we're back. Um, hi, guys. Thanks for sitting through those ad reads. Hi, enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you. It's going to end up online. <laughs> <laughs> Me here in sweatpants dancing like a moron. <laughs> I'll tag you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, well, let's 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 open this up, right? Because now I feel like we all know each other, right? You guys, I feel like we're becoming friends, and we all becoming friends on the show today. Do you guys have any questions in general? I mean, you're sitting in a room with other directors, and this is very rare. It's a very lonely business. We don't really get to talk to each other. Is there anything that, that you've done that you feel awkward about, or is there any questions that you guys have? Um, I'm always curious about what's next, and, you know, ultimately, where do you want to go? Um, so for me, obviously, I'm... <laughs> The last one I did, which is uh, Film Quest now, started as a proof of concept for a feature. Yep. But obviously I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and listening to, even on this podcast, what, what happens sometimes with proof of concept is it never goes online. You keep it, you keep it private and you try to get some money for it. But now thinking back at the journey I've had with this, I started to feel like maybe that's it. Maybe I need to move on. What do you mean? What like do you mean? to do another one, like not, oh, okay. not try okay. to extend this short into a feature length uh, film and, and just do something else. Because that sometimes I think when you when you're, you always when you do shorts, right? This is the thing with my, my question for you was later on is like, how do you balance the business side with the with the artistic side? Yeah. So the thinking is, right, you want to do a short, you know, that shorts 
like you said, doesn't make anybody rich. It's just for you to sort of push your career and learn. And you start with something like, well, this is a proof of concept. I want to make it into a feature because I guess we all want to make features. Yep. Um, but then sometimes maybe you get too hung up on this proof of concept and you don't actually start thinking about other ideas and other concepts. And you're like, no, this is the proof of concept. I've spent so much time on it. I have to make it into a feature. Mm. And I think now I'm at the stage where I'm like, I already started writing two other features and maybe I should just move on. Yeah. And these are the like the business decisions that how do you decide? How do you know? You know, it's just it's just hard to know your next step. Sometimes, you know, you have like two or three ideas in head, you're like, I'm gonna do this next, I'm gonna do that next. But now I'm at the stage where like, where do we go next? And the thing is, you know, you don't know where the opportunity opens. But until it does, you have to make it happen. And, you know, so how do you know? I, to be honest with you, I don't even know what's next. I have, I'm writing mm-hmm. two or three features. Uh, do I want to make more shorts? Sure. But am I able to self-finance more shorts and thus climb it? I don't know. Yeah. You know, because I self-finance the shorts. With, I, I get some help, obviously, from other people. But it's like, how much are you going to be able to keep self-financing as you get older? And right, you, know, you have more bills to pay. Yeah. And how do you move forward in this, like in, in the business side of it, right? Yeah. So it's it's tied up to like the business side and what your next step. It's very hard to decide. Like next, I'm doing this. For me, I think what's in my head at the moment, I want to make a feature next. That's the only thing I know. Which one is it? I don't know. The ones one of the one I'm writing, but it just strangely happens. That, you know, it could suddenly become a new documentary feature that some idea comes across my way. I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's very hard to to plan ahead. And uh, my my experience to plan ahead in this industry, you're just like you keep trying, yeah. but you don't really know. You know Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, genuine. I mean to share to share some insights that I have. Um, and you know what do I know? But um, here's what I've found. So I've done quite a few proof of concepts, and uh, I've had uh, feature scripts that go with the proof of concepts. I think if you're going to do a short film for any other reason than ju- just hang out with your friends and learn and have some fun, which there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's how you learn and how you find how to edit and all this other stuff that we talked about through the show. That's great. But if you're doing something that you want to progress your career, anytime I talk to my people, my management or my agents, and I send them a short film, they go, is there a script that goes with it? So if you are trying to go somewhere with it, you have to have those two paired, Mm. right? So that's the first thing. Um, So proof of concepts are great. They're important, especially if you're sending out a script, right? Because anybody that reads that script will go, this is Goonies. And you go, how the fuck is this Goonies? So then you're able to send them a piece that they go, ah, and then they read it and they know exactly what your vision is. That's what they're great for, for directors. Um, The problem is, is in our business, everybody seems to be looking for the scratch ticket. They're looking for the lottery ticket. They're looking for the easiest sell. And so my guys are constantly like, hey, uh, what's next? What's next? What's next? What are you shooting next? What are you making next? Is there a script? What's next? As if I'm a fucking factory that just can pump these things out. But that's what they want because that's how they're going to sell things. I'm incredibly bad at moving past things. So I get very focused on stuff. I go very deep into stuff. I fall in love with stuff. And a year or two years go by. And then I'm like, and then when those things don't actually go the right way, everything just falls apart and I become a fucking mess and my fiance wants to kill me. 
Um, but I'm trying to get better at it. I'm trying to get to the point where it's like, I got to do at least a proof of concept a year, if not two proof of concepts a year. And then try to meet writers and screenwriters and folks that you want to have in your corner that are also on that hard hustle um, and trying to pitch it as much as you can. And the unfortunate part is, is that you can't walk into these places as first time filmmakers with just a proof of concept. It's very rare that you can walk in and have them go, you don't need a script. And the other thing that sucks is that your, your initial script, they call it spec, which means they don't pay for anything. So they call it a spec script. You go in with a spec script, you can guarantee that they're going to change it. They're going to change everything that you've written. And that's part of their collaboration process. So it's almost like you have to go through the process of breaking a story, writing this whole entire script, and understanding that it's mostly going to get tossed out. And then you walk into the space and do it. So it's incredibly fucking frustrating. It's incredibly frustrating. I don't know if any of you have any other, you know, experiences with this. Um, so a little over 10 years ago, the first feature I directed came out into the festivals and it was, did really well. It won best first feature at Fantasia. I won best first time director at Fantastic Fest. I mean, it was a really good launch first film. Yeah. And I had a second project I wanted to do. But to your point, in terms of what to do next, I think what I didn't consider is that even if your first film is well received, it doesn't mean the second film is going to be easy to get going. Forget that. It needs to. It's almost like there's a lack of imagination. If people see your first film and suddenly they think, "Oh, that's all that he does. That's all that they do is that type of movie." Yeah. And the second film is not like the first film, and and also is outrageously more expensive <laughs> to make than the first film. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, a really quick story because there's a semi happy ending to this is that I was trying to because i had been doing the behind the scenes stuff for so long i was trying to get a first feature going and i thought well maybe i should direct a short and i over the course of working on the blade runner project i became friends with the daughter of philip k dick who wrote the story that blade runner is based on and i asked her i said could i make a short film based on one of your dad's short stories and she said sure go ahead um she gave me five to pick from and i found a six that was not part of the five and i said that's the one i want to do <laughs> and she said that's a special one for us we were really protective of that so come up with a pitch Okay, so it went on and on and, and like it became a massive feature idea and she loved it and there is a happy ending coming up um, that <laughs> basically is like, you know, it, it reads like a $200 million movie mm -hmm. and I hadn't made a feature yet. And so she said to me, why don't you make something smaller first just to show people what you can do? I said, okay, yeah. I did. So I went off and made my first film it's called Crave and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. It was, uh, you know, it was tough and that's a whole other podcast but um it was it was a great experience and i thought okay now here's the second thing and you know nothing and i i, I was like signed as a director i was like attached as a director for a full year and again because it read huge i didn't think it had to be that huge um so to this day i've not made a second feature because i didn't have the incremental you know kind of growth at, in, in terms of project presentation to say okay i understand he did this now we can do that it's a little bit bigger a little more ambitious I understand like tonally and all that. It's like, there's no clean line from the first film to the second film that I had. Yeah. And if I had to do all over again, I would have like put that big sci-fi thing on the shelf and said, I'm going to do something a little bit bigger and better than the first film. Yeah. I would, that's how I would do it now. So if you're looking for your first feature off of documentaries or your short or whatever, I would say, just think about what the next step, the next step could realistically be viewed as from someone else as someone who's going to finance you or put up your movie. Um, so the happy ending is that 
here we are, you know, many years later. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- that's the, the, the script for that big Philip K. Dick project. Um, I'd been working on with, with my writing partner, uh, Kalen Egan and, uh, it, you know, it got some nibbles along the way and some studios were considering it, but you know, again, it's, it reads big where nobody's whatever. So, um, there were some rumblings that someone was interested literally two hours before the writer's strike hit, it got options Are by, by, kidding? by a huge studio. That's amazing. And it was like, I'm like, wait, what? It's like two hours before the strike. And and almost immediately, the studio in question paid me like crazy fast. Wow! I had to I had to join the Writers Guild that week. Wow! And immediately went on strike. Wow. <laughs> That's the coolest so so we just had our first kickoff Zoom last week. Hell's for this, yeah! For this man. project, hell's yeah! And, and, and we're gonna start rewriting uh, first the year after the holidays. Oh, so. dude, that is so oh, fucking amazing, great. Right? So you you can get there, but it's a long journey. Yeah. So make make those steps easier to to yeah. Climb. See, every, like everybody just started smiling. Yeah, like everybody's breathing. You know, your your triumph is our triumph, man. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude, that's wonderful, man. It can be done. And that's that's I'm happy you said that because that's really good advice. I f- I feel like. You guys weren't here for the sales agent meeting that they had earlier, which was really fucking depressing to be a part of. But um, they're all about uh, making sure that you understand how things are being sold and and what value is in 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 those things. And obviously, the most important thing in the world for us is talent and attaching talent. And if you attach talent, then you could start to have the money that you need not only to shoot it, but you'll probably recoup the money that you need to get back. And you know we're playing in a good place genre is a good place for us and i think in the horror genre specifically because there's still a huge market for that and the audiences love schlock like they as long as they're on board with you as the storyteller and they're on board with your theme then they're fine with it not being super expensive and not being a massive budget and you you go back and i know it's a completely different time period it's a completely different business but you go back and you look at sam raimi and how he did the first Evil Dead, and his second movie was essentially a retelling of the first Evil Dead, just with more money and more effects. And how his third movie, you know, with the Army of Darkness, was was like an even bigger retelling of that kind of thing. Um, it just makes sense. And as a director personally, I think that that's I'm fine with that trajectory. I'm cool with like doing something rough and gruff and like a punk rock album first that is awesome and just you know really satisfying you guys that are listening really satisfying you as far as like my skill is concerned but also the genre is concerned and then just playing in that world and going up and it's like if 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 we were forced if i was forced to have to do this with romantic comedy i'd probably put a gun in my face but i think it's really fun that we get to do it in this genre and and do you guys agree with that do you guys have fun in the genre as far as filmmaking is concerned yeah well i never thought i was a filmmaker turns out you are huh uh, yeah it's, I, I used to just make comedy and, and drama um and i never watched horror film until i turned like 26 and it was because i was a script supervisor who was abused into a, assist, a director's assistant <laughs> and i had to like cut we were doing a horror series and because the director was so lazy to do his own homework so he <laughs> had me like cut together the monster or the jump scared moment of like 10 horror film oh. and i had to like sit there in the midnight in my living room doing overtime and just like cut out all the ghosts 
frame by frame. <laughs> That's my first practice. Um, but then since then, I've been yeah practicing. I, I feel like watching horror film is like eating spicy. Yeah. You eat yeah. a little bit every time and then your body kind of get used to it. It gets used to it, yeah. yeah and then and now, now I love it. Um, so A Dire Straits is my first thriller first genre film really yeah. Um, but yeah i have so much fun making it yeah uh, yeah it's you know that story is really funny because the laziness of that dude mm -hmm. taught you to be a better filmmaker because you got to dive down in this hole so you were actually lucky that you're working for that lazy loser well, actually <laughs> the whole reason i came to united states to go to film schools because how many that type of directors i work with yeah. i was a script supervisor and then assistant director you know how many shit show yep after you've been on those shit show you're like if those guys can do it i probably can yeah yeah and also i feel so creative all the time on set even though that's you know out of my my um job and i'm not supposed to give creative notes but i know i feel that urge yeah you get that vendetta deep yeah. inside yeah that's yeah. when i know okay i should probably write in direct and get a film degree <laughs> get better no big deal yeah. <laughs> just you know dozens of thousands yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying this conversation. Are you guys liking this conversation? Yeah, yeah so much. Of course. He's bored at the end of the couch. Well, we're getting close to wrapping this thing up. Do you get, mm -hmm. Does anybody have any other questions? We're sitting with directors here. Um, I, have a, I have a question um, because I've noticed over the, the last you know decade of going to festivals and things that I want to ask you guys what you think. Um, Festivals to me are becoming more and more about the festival and I would say less about the film because the film is important obviously But I feel like the partying aspect of it is now almost as important if not in some ways more important at some festivals than the films and And I asked this question because my film is subtle and nuanced and kind of quiet and creepy and it's not you know a giant you know whatever planet-sized monster doing whatever which is great too is I don't I don't I love those films as well but I feel like the, the 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 stakes and the scope and the scale of the fun and the party atmosphere of festivals is now entering into the films themselves hmm. and those films are the ones that seem to get a lot of the the attention versus something kind of quiet and small and you know delicate hmm. so i'm offering like my little faberge egg movie in the middle of a big like you know monster truck rally <laughs> you know that's a fucking great analogy and that's that's how i'm feeling lately so i want to ask you guys do you feel like that's the culture of film festivals have become really kind of like aggressively like big and powerful and fun and crazy but the quote-unquote art is maybe now second place well it's interesting because this is the first time that i've submitted to film festivals in over 10 years because like i hit a i hit this point and you could hear me on the show talk about this a lot. I hit, I hit this point where I was like, fuck film festivals. Like, like you, you, you sort of go like, all right, how much am I going to spend on submissions for these things? Oh, God. Like, you get no, you, like, one would think that if you submit and then they reject it, they go, well, here's half your money back and here's the thing. We're sorry that we can't program. No. And then when you go to these things, you feel like, well, how many fans are here and how many filmmakers are here? And then who's buying all the merch and who's doing that? You know what I mean? And so then you're sort of in this game of like, cool. So you're taking money out of my pocket still. And so I, I hit this point as a director where I realized that I was getting, I was getting more success 
not doing film festivals. Like 12KM ended up at Scott Free, they're producing it. So that ended up there because it was posted online and because it went through the process. And and you know, we're sitting in screenings here. I don't want to blow anybody's shit up, but there's no people in our screenings that are going to pick up our movies and make stuff. Like there isn't. And so at this point, you look at it and you go, okay, well, what's the value of film festivals? Laurels, I guess, to a certain extent, you know, until you end up in a producer's room somewhere and they go, who gives a fuck? You know what I mean? Uh, it's really great to brag to your friends or try to get other people involved with your movies and the press and the promo that comes from that stuff may help you further convince more people to try to work for free for you to do stuff as you go along. That's great. And then we came to this festival. I really did this whole festival run for Lance because he's the lead he's great and it's hard for actors it's bullshit for actors to get uh further in, in, in advanced and so for you that's kind of why we're doing the whole podcast you get to meet all these directors like yeah it's a good way in for you to be able to get mm -hmm. that sort of talent or get that face time with really talented filmmakers that mm -hmm. have been sort of vetted yeah. so that you kind of mm -hmm. know what's up but this is a long sort of tangent i don't know man like i think film festivals have to do it this way Right, because audiences don't give a fuck. You at home listening, how many of you have been to a film festival? How many of you want to come to Film Quest now that you've heard us do these podcasts? And how, what is your favorite part of these podcasts? Is it hanging out with the filmmakers or is it hearing about us going to karaoke parties and drinking all night and doing stuff? Like, mm -hmm. what is the reason for it? You know what I mean? And I support it, dude. Like, I think, I don't think your film is going to get lost. I haven't seen it yet. When's the screen? Uh, Saturday. 11 a.m. I'm going to try to get over there. I might have to watch it. I think I'm... Yeah, yeah. I think I'm doing a podcast, but we'll, 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 I'll try to get over there. But you send me a link, please. But I, I think more importantly, dude, who's in the audience here? We're in the audience here, right? And so what I walk away from here and what I have walked away from here, and I love that I know you guys, I now have connections to you guys. And what's important for me is being friends with directors so that way it's almost like a therapy group like we had the uh the scottish guys on for lure which i think mm -hmm. is one of the best films in this film yeah. festival they were on on what episode two mm -hmm. we're now best friends and we have like a whatsapp chat group and like we're all part of that thing it's been 10 years man i i i, I feel like i'm so far out of the culture of my peers so i think that's really the benefit of it you know and and everybody says that different film festivals have different things. I brought up the whole, like, there aren't fans in this audience. And then someone was on the show yesterday, the day before yesterday. And they're like, well, no, no, no. This festival and this festival have a lot of fans. And I think that's great. But I think you, I get so many more fans from the internet than I do from a film festival. So, I mean, just to really quickly plug FilmQuest, because that's why we're here. Um, I love it because it's a film festival by filmmakers for filmmakers yeah the viewership there's not a big fan percentage there that might be a little bit or you know like regulars that come to film quest but mostly film. i mean it's what like 300 filmmakers coming yeah. this time yeah mm -hmm. that's insane i mean it's great though it's beautifully insane but yeah. um a lot of film festivals like say fantasia which is another incredible festival that is fan driven like yeah, that like those audiences so. are the, some of the best audiences i've ever seen um and they are so supportive and there's so much love in the room this is the first time I'm seeing my short with an audience this on Saturday. I'm terrified. Are you really? I'm super terrified. Why are you so scared? Um, because again, I pushed myself to do something that I hadn't done previously. Also, I, I guess, I don't know, I was so in my own head editing the thing myself. And, and I had been tweaking it up until like the last minute. I mean, the version that they're showing 
is actually a newer version than what was submitted. Yeah, which I'm sure happens a lot. But but I but Jonathan, I I, I texted Jonathan. When's the la- exact last minute I can give you the film? <laughs> yeah. And and we we made it, but it was I was that like obsessed with getting the film right in my head. And there's still things I want to change. So I think it's the insecurity of not having had the audience reaction. Yeah. To a film that's not my usual thing. Yeah. Uh, that has me terrified. But I had to come here for that because we had our world premiere at Sieges in Barcelona. And the the cost to go out to that yeah. was about half of what it, ma- what it cost to make the movie itself. Yeah. And, it's like, and I, I couldn't I just couldn't justify that for a 9 a.m. screening. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, on a Thursday. Yeah. So it's like you're, you know, when you're talking about it's like submission fees earlier, that that stuff adds up, yeah, really fast. Yeah, it does. And so I, I, I love the idea of giving a refund <laughs> if they don't accept your film, yeah. or if they don't even watch it for that matter. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, I love Film Quest, and, I, and it's the great kind of festival because there is a lot of support. Yes, it's like a family, one hundred percent. It's it's really it's really wonderful. Um, and I wish more festivals embrace that because I do see the machinery of i don't want to call it a grift but i mean there's definitely some mm-hmm, mm-hmm. better ways to handle money mm-hmm. and and submit your films to people and as you say get people to watch your movies mm-hmm. is is much better ways to do it now in this day and age mm-hmm. so it's like some festivals are fantastic some i wish were more in line with what we're talking about and this one here like it's blown me away as far as like the connections that we're able to make and that like jonathan and his team go well without like well out of their way to create these environments like it was a karaoke night last night but i wasn't saying karaoke i was talking to all the different filmmakers and it was yeah. people that we've seen and we we see their movies and it's go fuck we talked to you three days ago your movie was awesome man and oh my god and then you sort of have this conversation that happens that's 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 the best part and also dude to talk about your insecurities on the screening it's very directory of you right to have that but to take these things into consideration one your movie was chosen by the judging staff which means that regardless of whether or not you tweak and you have all these little things, it still spoke to someone Mm -hmm. enough to have them screen it on the screen. And uh, we were talking again, little lure guys, we keep giving you guys a shout out and David and all those dudes, Mm -hmm. their movie uh, had huge technical issues when they played. So like it stopped once and they had to replay it again. And I, I saw him like, go through the process and like have to get up and leave because he could, he couldn't be in that space. And I said to him afterwards, he came back in, I go, the audience didn't give two shits, man. Like it stopped and it started and they were with it the whole time. They were with it the Mm -hmm. whole time. And we get so hyper-focused on all these little details and all whether or not, you know, the cuts are perfect, whether or not the sound mix is right. But if we're doing our job right, at the core, there's that performance there's that story that speaks to people and and these are horror fans these are a lot of these people grew up watching horror films on vhs tape until it worn out and it had no color and no profile Mm. and they love it for that fucking reason so i know it's hard to tell someone not to be nervous about their thing but settle your nerves man like you you've been selected you're here you're on our show you're doing this all this stuff because the people really enjoy your work already so i would i'd be okay with it brother I would be okay with it. I feel like my mindset toward film festivals had like drastically changed in the past mm. two, three years. What do you mean? Um, so I was from Taiwan. I moved to LA five years ago. And I feel like in Taiwan, whenever you see people share about this festival thing, it's all about laurel. It's all about award and the glory. <laughs> but yeah, the more festival I submit to and I attend, 
now it becomes a community thing for me. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I'm here to bond with people. So now I submit, when I submit to festivals, I no longer just look at how many Oscar qualifier, BAFTA, what qualifier does it have? Yeah, I, I think about who's going to be there, mm-hmm. what other films I'm going to see, who can I bond with, and what kind of experience the festival is trying to offer. The, mm-hmm. the filmmakers mm-hmm. um, so now i do more research instead of just like what can get me the most fame or you know get my feature made because we all know that's not gonna happen yeah <laughs> let's be not, real not very likely yeah, yeah um so yeah and i never thought about filmmaker experience before you know this mm-hmm. journey i always thought about audience Laura Award, um, would jury liked me, and now I ch- turn the focus back on myself. This is why I'm here, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I was so happy that there's podcast opportunity. I get to talk to people, and yeah. So it's been a very fruitful experience for me. It's um, super smart of you, right? Because this is something that, as we sort of become obsessed and we try to, f- what's our plans and what's our future like, and we're really not taking care of ourselves and we are miserable to ourselves and we beat ourselves up emotionally and physically and we just continue to go on this route and with how fucking expensive it is to travel and to come to these things why am i going to blow this cash like what am i going to get out of this what am i going to get out of this like the opportunity to potentially have something happen or am i physically going to be inspired am i going to meet people i'm going to meet an actor that i might cast and put in something i mean i think that's that's worth yeah. I think you're doing the right thing. And it's just nice to have people that understand your film. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I know I'm coming to the similar people and the, at the end, people come shake my hands and mm. they give me the best feedback ever. That's just what I need. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's the same for me also. Like when I used to do documentaries and obviously I used to try to get into festivals, it's the same experience. Like first of all, before I moved to the UK, you're looking at glory. Let's be honest. Right? Mm-hmm. You want the laurels and you're looking at the biggest top festivals and you think you can just get into Sundance and mm-hmm. South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, no. There's a lot of politics. Yeah, yeah a lot of politics. Yeah. Oh, shit. And you're from a different part of the world. The chances are 0.00. What you don't know that when you start. You have no idea. And you're just after glory. And you think if you get into these festivals, you're just going to get your next thing. Mm-hmm. But then as you grow, you're like, I'm just really glad somebody's going to play my film for mm-hmm. a certain audience to watch it. I don't care if I even get nominated or win. I really don't care anymore. When I get selected, I'm like, fucking awesome. Yeah. Like for FilmQuest, I even sent a work in progress and I'm like, eh, the chances are somebody accepts a work in progress. And when I got the acceptance, I'm like, holy shit, that's cool. <laughs> I don't care. And then yeah. I heard about the nomination. I'm like, really? What? I, like for me, somebody's willing to watch it uh, and put it into front of an audience and give me a chance to come and meet filmmakers. I don't really care about anything else anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't care if they're Oscar qualifier. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. And because uh, especially with shorts, you're screening next to 200 other films. Uh, the chances are that some like, yeah, what are the chances? But if you come and do things like this, you hear from other directors, you learn things, you go back, you're like, well, you know, that's that's what it's about. Yeah. yeah. Some, you know, mm-hmm. show my film, have feedback, talk to people. Who cares about the glory? There's no glory. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. So this is what you learn as well as you grow. You're like, now I don't even look at Sundance. No way. No, I'll just find something that fits my film. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't submit. I didn't submit to Sundance. It's I didn't just do. Burning it's, cash. Yeah, yeah. It's pointless. Yeah. It's pointless. What were you nominated for? 
بيست شورت ساي فاي نايس مان اي دونت نو هاو اونستلي ام لايك اوه كول اوكي ذات از فانتاستيك كونجراتيوليشنز ماي لاد ثانك يو يا اي دونت نو يا فور مي ذاتس انف لايك اي دونت ايفن نيد ان اوورد لايك كول مان لايك ات واز ا ورك ان بروجريس اي ذا بيوتيفول ثينج از رايت ويستد سو ماتش تايم دوينج ميكينج ات ان بوست Yeah. Submitted to a couple of festivals, got in, and you got like, now you go like, holy shit, I have to finish it. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I had visual effects besides editing, yeah, yeah. and I was doing some of the visual effects, and I have no background in that. So I'm going to YouTube, learning, yeah. and then you get to festivals, and you're like, shit. And this is what I was talking to Jonathan. I'm like, when is the last date? You need mm-hmm. my film yes. because, and then I went into like all nighters. Yeah. I have oh, to finish wow. it now. I and it was a a good thing because it pushed me to finish it. Yeah, because I was yeah. wasting time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was amazing. I'm so glad. You know. Well, dude, it's awesome that you uh, got nominated too. Yeah, and it, awesome. and when, I wonder when they nominated. I wonder how they judged that. If they judged it on like a proof on like an unfinished piece for you, or if it was on the finished piece. I don't know. So uh, when the nomination came, I had a more polished. version and I sent it to Jonathan but I don't know if they nominated it when they selected it or later yeah I've been trying to keep track on Vimeo analytics but you don't know yeah you know yeah. I get a lot of hits from Provo now so I suppose because people are on the festival yeah I don't know if it was on work progress or after I don't know it wasn't colored the sound was all over the place visual effects were 50% in and I'm like cool because I I had zero expectations this is what you move like with festivals yeah you move ahead you're like most likely i'm going to get rejected that's sure, the standard sure. that's the standard approach mm-hmm. they're not going to take it so yeah it's like i don't know i'll I'm ask jonathan when i meet him I'll, i'll ask him <laughs> I'll be like, yeah. just just out of curiosity yeah 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 <laughs> cuz that'd be yeah. great too that's yeah. great yeah yeah how abused are we you know what i mean where you're like you know that's the thing we're going to get fucking like that's how we start all of our stuff mm-hmm. going to do this probably not going to get it you know yeah. like we're just mm-hmm. beaten down consistently just, just become cynical as the more time you spend in it you become so cynical you're like eh, eh whatever and it's just shame because when i you know when i started I'm super excited and super like ambitious and you're like year by year you're like yep i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i i the, the thing that keeps you going that you just love making it so yeah. for me mm-hmm. this is what one i went through obviously a depression like all of us did yeah and you know i had the chat with my wife and i'm like like i'm so deep in now to go do something else i know one thing i enjoy being on set i don't care about anything else i will do it as my therapy fuck everything else i'll make mm-hmm. the film to enjoy making the film fuck the politics fuck the business yeah whatever happens happens and this was my after covid this was my new approach I don't care about anything else. I love making films. Everything else I don't think about anymore. Yeah. And to be honest, I feel better a little bit yeah. <laughs> because you're like yeah. zero expectations, whatever happens happens. Mm-hmm. I'm just happy I'm making films mm-hmm. until I go broke, then we see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we're on the same page, man. I yeah. went through the same thing. I've talked about it on the show, but I went through the same thing and uh, mm-hmm. coming out of depression and refinding the love for it and getting to a place where you know you get accepted and we're nominated as well mm-hmm. and it's just like what the fuck and we made this thing you know like i said in my garage in the hallway of the fucking bathroom you know what i mean i watch mm-hmm. it i go that's where i go take a piss like at the end of the hallway mm-hmm. right there so um and it's nice seeing the directors be able to sort of build relationships here with each other right cuz for and and writers too cuz as actors right you have a class you can go to so in your community you can find other peers and then connect 
but like where do you guys get to meet with each other and connect and share on these experiences and the traumas and the healing and where the victories feel good and inspire each other so i think seeing here at film quest the way that 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 sort of environment is fostered so strongly it's 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 very inspiring to see and you're like good yeah right everyone else in this business is also finding a place to heal yeah yeah well i'm happy i'm healing with you guys <laughs> see look at i knew it we started the podcast the hangover's gone yep i'm now a young uh, i'm a young kid again with a lot of bad decisions to make you know it's great i've like you guys have been really good for me this morning and i appreciate you being here thank you likewise i mean i feel better as well i'm not yeah. i'm not as terrified as i was 10 minutes ago yes, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> winners <laughs> yeah um, well, I think that I think we're going to wrap it up. I think this is a good point. Um, thank you, everybody, for being on the show. Let me ask this question. Uh, you know, how can audiences see your stuff? I mean, I, are you guys all on the app thing that's got, that's happening right now? So I'm not going to advertise the app because they didn't agree to be a sponsor on the show. But if you go to FilmQuest's website, there is an app there that you can actually watch the films from the filmmakers here. So you can actually see this stuff while the festival's happening. Um, but then uh, I think it all disappears after the festival's happening. Mm -hmm. So um, what's next? Like, are you guys going to release your stuff to the public or is it going to stay in the little proof of concept, little safe somewhere? Like, what's the deal? Um, so I, I guess I haven't met anybody, but um, I know there's Alter and Does people might show up in the fest. So that's my big hope. Oh, um, to get on like an altar or like yeah, a distributor. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, that would be the dream. But you know, if I don't get anything, I just put it on my Vimeo. Yeah, and, there you go. And beg people to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they watch it. They watch it all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Call my friend. Did you drop at the fifth minute? <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. The next shot is my favorite shot. Yeah. Why did you stop now? Yeah. <laughs> Unfriend. Unfriend. <laughs> you're like i have my hand over the unfriend button go back and watch it now go back and watch it now yeah i feel bad i've unfollowed certain festivals that didn't <laughs> <laughs> it's like our own little like vendetta it's our yeah. own like vindication and you're not my friend anymore <laughs> yeah yeah that's great man so what about you um i don't know i i um i have this film honk and then my previous one love bite which came out at festival like right as COVID hit yeah like the entire festival run got derailed because of COVID, mm -hmm. and it was really funny because not funny it was odd because my film uh is about a couple arguing about how a virus spreads <laughs> during the zombie apocalypse <laughs> and that was like literally again we we premiered at sieges and then COVID hit like almost immediately after that so it never really got a fair run so to speak a lot of virtual festivals and things so i'd like to kind of find a way to bundle those two together and if a an altar type you know situation comes up or some streaming service comes up great um if not i want to keep building maybe more shorts into anthology and not just my films like other filmmakers that we can find some kind of thread and make it like a feature-length anthology and do something with that um and try to find filmmakers who don't have like that have not released their films yet yeah uh, for this, like a similar reason, maybe it's all like the kind of the impact of COVID on filmmakers and their films getting kind of like not the uh, the spotlight that they were hoping mm, for. Yeah, you know, maybe try yeah. to salvage it that way. Um, and there, there is, uh, I know there's someone out there who's trying to to do something like that. 
So I'm just trying to keep an eye out for what's the best way to move forward with any kind of a release. I would rather not just put it on YouTube or Vimeo, but I, you know, I will down the road, but like that's sure. at least a couple years down. But sure. like, let's see what happens between now and then. Sure, I agree. I don't, I don't just release things. I uh, just don't. That's I'll not my deal. I'll save my film for you. Thank you. Well, you know what? You know what I've done before, which is like a really, really cool thing. When we did twelve cam, and twelve cam is not available to the public. Mm. When we did twelve cam, I did a screening back in Boston, and I teamed up with uh, another filmmaker that I loved, and sort of stacked it up with other things, and it was really fucking great. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that's something also to take into consideration because you can rent out theaters, you can do all that kind of stuff, and. Uh, if you find a couple filmmakers that you really like, you all sort of get together and go like, how about we do a screening in your hometown and we'll do a screening in my hometown and we'll do that. That's a lot of fun too. And it's actually surprisingly inexpensive to uh, rent out a screening room or a theater and show stuff. Very inexpensive to do that. So it's grassroots, but think about it, you know. Uh, for me, same. I think I'm going to continue with the festival run. Let's see what happens. If if distribution comes my way, great. Mm -hmm. If not, you know, I used to always want, think like, what well, eventually it'll go on Vimeo. Try to get a staff pick, as if that's gonna change my life. <laughs> 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 so now it's like, actually, what's the you know? You th you think about it, and you're like, maybe it stays private, and I share it to certain people, show it, and still the whole proof of concept thing happens. Mm -hmm. The world that I set the short in has been built with my co-writer anyway. And maybe, you know, it, I'm open at the moment, but I don't think this is same. It's not something I'm going to just put on YouTube on Vimeo yeah. in a year and just let it live there because it's it's just going to disappear in, in, in the in the noise. Yeah. yeah, who, yeah. Like you know, yeah. so much stuff put, being put out there, like yeah. nobody cares. You're going to put a couple of posts on social media mm -hmm. and some of your friends will watch it. And and then what? Here's, here's the thing that's interesting. And I keep talking about this, but I think I'm sharing it with filmmakers because it's been very successful for me. Um, People want to see things. People want to be told what is cool. People want to feel like, uh, like they're part of an exclusive speakeasy kind of environment. And this is something that I did with 12 Cam. I don't know if you guys know this, but with that piece, because of my, I made that piece, which was only going to be a proof of concept. I never really intended for it to go to the public. And it ended up getting me in Ridley Scott's office, which is amazing. But other than that, I'm like, Mission accomplished. I spent all that money and I go, well, if I had to cut a check for $30,000 to hang out with Ridley Scott's company, then I would have done so. Mm -hmm. So I've done this. Like, this is what, what it is. But then when I was on the podcast, uh, a lot of the listeners of the show were always like, how do we get to see your movie? Right? And so I was being a dick that day. Obviously, I do that every once in a while on the show. And I said, all right, well, look, if you want to see my movie, send me a message with your three favorite horror movies and if i agree with you then i'll send you a link <laughs> to see the movie and i just assumed that i would just get a few hundred messages that went viral and that went viral last november mm. and every day every five minutes i get 15 messages from people that say here are my three favorite horror movies can i please watch your horror film and i have been viral in the u.s multiple times turkey spain uh india currently we're viral in india I've got fans in Turkey. Someone was like, people know who you are in Turkey. And I'm like, what? There's an earthquake there. What's what, you know what I mean? Like, it's insane. And it's because of the power of the internet and because of the power of exclusivity. And I think the genre that we're playing in, people want to be a part of it. And people want to 
yell out to the fucking heavens like i'm tired of your fucking cues on netflix will will someone t invite me into something that i feel included with will someone invite me into this thing and it works man but did you know when you said when you asked give me your three favorite horror films that that was going to drive the interest in people like i want to share my opinion with this guy i kind of so i, I kind of knew okay you no that's brilliant yeah that's you a brilliant move. Knew, i was yeah. just wondering like People love like every damn time there's a like a meme on Twitter about like you know name your whatever movies or whatever. People really respond to that because yeah. they want to share their opinion and say I'm important too. Here's my opinion. Here are my thoughts. Yep. And that's a brilliant way to drive traffic to your film. Yeah. So I was wondering, was that the key? I was like, yeah. yeah I mean, okay. like, you, like, I was I was being a dick about it, but also I was an experiment, right? It was like, and more than anything else, it, I I didn't want to just toss it out into the ocean of shit. I wanted someone that was engaged to do it, and I there was uh, I owe the uh, the the craziness to this one guy who did a post. So one of the fans of the show listened to it, uh, and then he watched it and went through the whole process and then he made a video on that video and he said look there's this director out there that the only way you can see this thing and he ended it really smartly by saying is he a genius or is he pretentious and that was his thing and that question then spawned on all sorts of negativity so underneath his post it was just multiple people going fuck this guy who does he think he is he's a fucking asshole now instagram goes well people love negativity so suddenly <laughs> so that goes to the roof and then of course me being me and i like to be fun with people i just started to respond to the negative comments so like i would just go in there and someone would be like this guy's a fucking asshole i go so you don't want to see the movie and they go oh shit the director's here and then suddenly that whole thing changes or people would be like oh actually hold on stand by we'll do it right now i'm very excited about it if you've got headphones on and i'll play it again so that you can hear it here's an example of uh <laughs> yeah, hold on a sec i get such joy out of this i get such joy out of this here's here's a review right here hey man we just watched your film and uh, i can tell you that it's the worst film i ever looked thank you for link but uh so much disappointment me too <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. His friend's sitting in the background going, oh, this guy's such an asshole. <laughs> I love it, man. And it's, we've had such success with it. We have so many people, like I have young kids that are begging me to watch a movie that's in Russian with a bunch of naked Russian guys running around and it breaks every rule of the demographics. And it's, it's fucking great. And so I think it's up to us to be very creative on how we get our work out there. Mm -hmm. Be smart about how you do it, like use the system against the system and just know this and cheer at home. We'll hear you from here if you, if you agree with this statement. People love to be a part of something that's fun. And if there's a speakeasy, Barbenheimer was only Barbenheimer because it was made into a fun event. Are you dressing up like Ken and going to go watch mm -hmm. a fucking movie about the atomic bomb? Yes, I'm going to go do that because it became an event. And I think beyond us just being really creative filmmakers, we also have to be our own like hype men. We also have to do all this stuff. And if we think cleverly and we work together and we do fun things, the audience will come back to us and then maybe just maybe it'll be more than just about the logo that runs in front of our movies. Mm.
Thank you. Got me thinking. There you go. All right. On that note, your boys talk too much. Thank you so much for being on the show, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, man. I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you. Except for you, Lance. Lance, you're Fuck a huge <laughs> piece of shit. Does that button turn your mic off? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave you guys with uh, an old classic track. Uh, see if you know what uh, TV show this is from. And uh, we're, we're getting there. Yeah. I think uh, we've got two more days of uh, podcast yes. episodes coming. So uh, stick with us. And uh, I think it's been confirmed we will have on Friday, which is tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we will have a celebrity guest on the show who's here at the festival. I'm not going to say the name just so in case exciting. it falls as it falls apart. But like, and I'm not allowed to talk about any of the characters or creatures that this person plays in because of fucking SAG shit, which yeah. I get pro pro fucking, you know, actors rights and all that kind of thing but also sucks to be doing a podcast at the same time as that so um yes we will have a celebrity guests fingers crossed mm -hmm. on friday so stick around thank you for listening everybody thank you for being here everybody and uh what tv show is this from oh it's giving it away already <laughs> <laughs>